Hi, I'm Patrick John Fluger, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. gonna be all sunshine and roses but i can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride Hey everyone, welcome to episode 123 of Meet Us at Molly's. Today we're going to go ahead and talk about episodes 7. So, as always, I'm one of your hosts. My name's Gina. I'm joined by Bryna. Hello everybody. What a week, man. I know. Crazy. I mean, a lot of people would say it's crazy. I don't think it was a crazy week. It was just kind of, eh. I think it's, like, not necessarily crazy. I would Maybe crazy isn't the right word. But, like, they're definitely starting to set things up that are going to happen in, like, these last two episodes before winter hiatus. Hmm. Good point. Like, you can start to see the storylines kind of slowly come together. Right, In some ways. Yeah, so, uh, whatever. As always, we like to start with the news, and we've got a little bit, not a ton, but we've got episode descriptions for the fall finales. Brace yourselves, they are here. All right, so Chicago Med, season five, episode nine. This is called I Can't Imagine the Future. Again, these episodes air on Wednesday, November 20th. I Can't Imagine the Future. April receives unfortunate news that makes her question her future with Ethan. Dr. Charles and Maggie see see tough times on the horizon, and Natalie's memory from the accident starts to turn. I I can take a guess at the April stuff. Take a guess. Oh, God. Is she going to sleep with Marcel next episode and then find out she's pregnant? Whoa. That's fast. Um, I mean, I hope not. I would I would say maybe the former happening. I could see that happening. I doubt she they'd have her get pregnant with his child. I feel that's, like that's like too much. That would be some Jerry Springer shit. <laughs> yeah. Especially within like one episode time. Okay, but you know what my other what if was? I think I texted you that earlier today. Yeah. Okay, so last week's episode description for episode eight was that a doctor from the Med family is rushed into emergency surgery following a brutal attack. Now, a couple of you had this thought, and it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks earlier today. When I was thinking, I was like, oh my God, this could definitely be Noah. And you were just like, duh, Gina. No, I was I just don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about it. No, I know. Nope. But, like, that's what I'm worried about is like, they... Don't you touch Roland. Don't do not touch him. We just got him back. We just got him back. Don't touch him. Do not go there. I mean, what is the what could be so bad that it makes April question her future? I don't know. Unless Ethan does something like super fucked up. I don't know. But what what if it doesn't necessarily though? What if it's like her chances of getting pregnant are low now. I don't know. Something like that. She's going to question her future with Ethan about that? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to make something that's not as terrible. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I hope that's her thinking that... She, like, I hope that doubt is coming from her and not from him. Because if he's like, your chance of getting pregnant is lower and I don't want to be with you, then fuck him. 
Right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Dr. Charles and Maggie, do not do not touch Cece. Do not touch her. You know it's going to be Cece. No. No. I don't want it to be Cece. I like Cece. It's going to be Cece. Damn it. Um, and Natalie's memory from the accident starts to return. Natalie, it's been seven episodes, okay? Like, come on. Well, at that point, it'll have been nine episodes, but yeah. Don't know. I don't know. Brenda, will yeah. you take us through fire? Yeah, so fire episode nine is called Best Friend Magic. An unexpected visit throws Casey for a loop. Severide sets out to exonerate a wrongly convicted arsonist. Kid pays the price for burning the candle at both ends, and Cruz goes on a mission to fix one of Otis's old toys. Mm. I know. Sad. Okay, so the unexpected visit, surprise, surprise, it's Gabby. We talked about that. Right. Yeah, I'm right. excited. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more, I think, just curious now than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kelly sets out to exonerate a wrongly convicted arsonist. Okay, so this is a new spin on it because we usually see him going after the arsonist. And in this case, they got the wrong guy. We've never seen him try to exonerate the wrong guy. No, but I'm not surprised. Like, that sounds like Kelly. Oh, I know. Right. Just When can he apply for Justice League? When is the next Justice League movie? Can he be in it? I just have questions. No, he needs to be in the Avengers because Justice League, DC movies aren't that, well, movies are fine, but like still, he needs to be in a Marvel movie. He, okay, so he needs I to be need, an Avenger? He need, I need him to be in like the new Avengers. Okay. Does he need a superhero name or is Severide okay? Severide's fine. It should be like you remember from the uh, the thing we were watching last week about the most likely to and Patty and Leroy yeah. were like yeah we whisper his name that should be his Avenger name just Severide Severide <laughs> Black Widow and Severide yeah that's funny yeah fantastic it's great um, also the 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 one of old Otis's old toys it has to be the robot right I don't know but I'm sad I'm, no I'm totally sad. It can't be the Viper helmet. No, because they never got the Viper helmet back, did they? Oh, I don't know. Remember when um, Shay was, had that girl come stay with them and then she stole all their stuff? Her did name they started the with Viper? a D. Oh, I can't remember what it is, but yeah. What? So do you know who I'm talking about? I do, yeah. Did they ever get the Viper helmet back? I thought they did. I don't remember. Hmm. Mm. I know. Chicago PD's fall finale is called Absolution. Halstead's secret ongoing relationship with a woman connected to another case puts him in jeopardy. Are we really doing this again? I, I, yeah, apparently. No, no, no. Although I will say... I told you this and then I had like Jennifer texted me about it and like a couple other people. I think this puts, I think this makes the comments that Jesse and Tracy are saying about Upstead at when Chicago day make more sense. That, you know, right when they're about to get together, Jay does something dumb. Like, right. Like get right. Right. I think that makes it more sense because everyone was like, Camilla, Camilla was two seasons ago. Like, why are we bringing up Camilla now? But 
this makes more sense. But also, why are we doing the same thing again? I don't know. I really thought, too, I mean, I guess it could still happen, but, like, I really wanted the mid-season finale to be all about the, like, Jay and Voight and Voight not trusting Jay and blah, 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 blah. I mean, I guess this could still be connected, but, like, I wanted it to be more about that. Yeah, and I mean, I will say, I guess we're seeing a pattern emerge here that every time Jay makes a mistake on the job, he deals with it by starting relationships with women who are not Haley and doing dumb shit. Right, but we don't know how long this ongoing relationship is. So, like, theoretically, it could have gone past, like, he could have been dating her for much longer than whatever this, whatever, um, the stuff from episode five, six, six. Yeah. The stuff from episode six. I feel so. like Jay knows better, but I guess he doesn't. I don't know. I don't know, but then it's, like, the stuff from this episode and, like, the Rojas comment, like, which we'll talk about. Like, I don't know. It doesn't It doesn't make sense to me. No, I know. I know. And so um, the last bit of news, it's based on a promo that we saw for next week's episodes, which we don't usually talk about the promos, but, I mean, this is pretty big. So uh, the PD promo that we saw after this week's PD, the very first thing out of anybody's mouth is a doctor at med saying, you're pregnant. To Burgess. So that's confirmed. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not excited for this. I'm not. Okay. Go on your little rant or whatever because you texted me like three hours ago and you're like, I'm ready. I'm fired up. I have a lot to say. Okay, so people are talking about the Burzik baby, right? And they're just like Burzik baby, Burzik baby. Okay. I'm gonna say something. It's a little bit of a hot take here. But, like, forgive me, okay? There's not going to be a Burzik baby. They're going to handle this the same way they did Dossie. And you're a hundred... I mean... I, like, pardon me. Like, I don't want to get my hopes up for an actual baby. But, like, I also don't want to go there either. Even though I know you're probably more right. Well, but that means that they're basically going to... For them to carry out a full pregnancy for, like, a season long... I mean, they're going to have to sideline Marita, uh, Marina, words are hard. They're going to have to sideline Marina for the whole season. And so, I mean, it's just, I don't think it's feasible unless, unless Marina's about to announce, like, surprise, I'm pregnant with baby number two. But I I don't, it's not feasible. It's just not without sidelining Burgess. And then they're going to make the whole season about her pregnancy. And then somewhere along the way in the season, all of us are going to be like, what the hell are you doing with Marina this season? She's like not even doing her job. She's just worried about being pregnant. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to talk about without having like seen the episode. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I just, I, I don't, I don't see this ending well. And I mean that from both the character standpoint and from, like, the writing standpoint. I, I don't see it ending well. Yeah. I mean, you're unfortunately probably right. Um, but then it's, like, at that point, too, it's, like, well, then why did we have to go this route? Like, if you guys wanted to explore Berzik again, regardless of whether they actually end up together or not, then, like, why couldn't we have done something else? And, yeah. like, why haven't you actually? 
confirmed up until next week when we find out that she's pregnant that, like, she and Ruzik actually slept together. Well, I mean, I think that was a given. Right, but, like, I feel like you should have still had, like, for all we know, they touched pinkies and that was it. Like, Hashtag touching pinkies. Well, like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they should have just said, like, hey, maybe it's on the cutting room floor somewhere. I don't know. Right. And hey, I mean, again, I want to be wrong. Trust me. I would love a Berzik baby. I've already been running through names in my head. I would love a Berzik baby, but it's not going to happen. <sighs> yeah, I know. But then... Which is... Go ahead. Well, I just, I just, I don't like pregnancy as a storytelling device because, I mean, ultimately, and especially in the Dick Wolf universe, the way they tend to pay off is really weird. They either... With Rollins once on SVU, she was pregnant, and literally she went from, like, telling Olivia she was pregnant to the next episode being, like, seven months with, like, a full-on bump. And then she had the baby. It was like, that's it. So it's either really? that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, so, it was so weird. I was like, did I miss any episodes? Why, why does Rollins have, like, a fully pregnant belly now? Yeah, it was weird. Um, but it's either going to be that or it's going to be, like, Dossie. And they're just going to use it as a plot device. But then meanwhile, if you have Burgess miscarry this baby, you're basically traumatizing this poor character just for the sake of advancing everybody else's storylines. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points. I mean. And this was the problem I had with Gabby's pregnancy. We should do an episode for 404, but I I also think we shouldn't do an episode for 404 because I cannot rewatch that episode. It makes me so angry. But... That's when Gabby miscarries. But Right. Oh. Okay, so, I mean, I've never, you know, I've never had any personal experience with this, but I have friends who have. And so seeing the way network TV almost kind of trivializes it, it makes me mad. Like, because Dawson miscarried, and I was like, seriously, they're really going to do this to her, and we're not even going to see a thing. She's just going to come back to work next week like it never happened, and she came back to work next week. Now, granted, it had happened. They acknowledged it, but, I mean, it was just like, okay, we're past that, done. So what's the payoff here? Right. I'm not excited about it. I'm just not. I feel like I worry about it, too, just because out of the three – PD tends to lean a little more into the, like the procedural format of like clear new case every week kind of thing. And I feel like that could like if she does miscarries, like I feel like it would be so easy for them to just like have Burgess show back up to work. Kind of like you said, like Dawson did and then be like, that's it. And like, they never talk about it again. Yeah, and not only would I mean, not only would that be kind of a slap in the face to, you know, your female viewers, it just would, but it would be doing a disservice to Burgess because Burgess is a lot different from Gabby. Ruzik said it before, she feels things very deeply. So for this to happen to her, for them to put her through this and then just act like it never happened and put her through this for the sole purpose of getting she and Burzik or Burzik, she and Ruzik back together. It's not, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I am very curious to see how this all plays out. I'm expecting the worst and hoping for the best. Yeah, exactly. But again, just for the record, I would love to see a Burzik baby. I would love to be wrong. If it's a boy, they have to name it Alvin. Oh my God. 
cheetah. They do. You, I'm going to make her cry. Uh oh. <laughs> Sorry, Brenna. Sorry, Brenna. Um, oh. And if it's a girl, I'm, I was thinking they'd have to name her Alexandria or Alex or something because then you get Lexi out of that. And you would get Al and Lexi. You would honor both of them. Stop. <laughs> Sorry, Brenna. Oh my God, you're going to make me cry. Sorry. That's my. Okay. That's Marianne. So yeah, um, with that said, that's all the news we've got. <laughs> As always, if you see anything, send it to us. You know how to get us news. You're really good about it. We appreciate it. You know, email, DM, whatever. You know what you're doing. We appreciate it. Thank you for sending us news. But yeah, if you see anything else, let us know. I think it is time to move into the episode, shall we? Yes, please. Now that I've made Brian want to cry. All right, <laughs> start off with Med. So we're going to start with Ethan and April. And these two are so domesticated. Oh, my goodness. They're having a nice, quiet morning together. But then Ethan decides to ruin it. Okay, listen. An ovulation chart? No. No. Too much? No. Right. Like, I can't say this enough. Right. Like, I understand that you have to, like, track it. Like, I do understand that. But, like, you don't need to go make, like, a full on chart. Right. Right. And I get that. I get that it's each couple's decision. And, you know, some couples are data driven like that. Other couples are more chill about it, more laissez-faire. As April said, to me, that is something that is way too personal to have somebody else monitoring via a calendar on the fridge. Way too personal. Yeah. Yeah. And for it to be like out and open like that in the kitchen on the fridge, like, no, no, no. Well, yeah, and, and plus, I mean, it's it's April's body. Like, it's not it's none of his business. I mean, oh, uh, it's it's a hot. I gotta like be careful what I say here, but I mean, it's no, it's just too it's too personal. That's the kind of thing that if I'm April, I look at Ethan and I'm like, get out of my uterus. Well, I think the thing that was so clear to me in this moment was that clearly they haven't had a like a real conversation about it because, or they're not on the same page because he thinks that like they're going full hard trying. And she's like, I don't know. I want to take like a step back. And so like something's not happening here. Like right. something, there is like a lack of communication uh, because like you kind of need to be on the same page if you're going to be bring a baby in this world. Oh, big time, big time. And so, so yeah, and so, like, they're, yeah, they're just kind of disagreeing about the approach. Or April's just not thrilled with the approach. And, like, same. Are you kidding me right now? No. Too much. But she was the one taking pregnancy tests, was it last week? Two mm-hmm. weeks ago? Yeah. So, like, if she's now, her feelings have changed because maybe she doesn't want to keep getting disappointed, well, then that's fine. But, like, she also has to be, like, honest and open about it. And right. I guess clearly Ethan didn't get the memo. Haven't we always said that these two suck at communication? I mean, everyone in the White Chicago universe sucks at communication, That's except true. for Stellaride these days. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So they get a patient named Gina, and Ethan relates to her right away because she's in the Army. I relate to her right away because we have the same name. Um, fun fact here. Did you know that this actress is an actress? She's an amputee. She's a real-life amputee. Yeah, I put that in the notes later. Oh, I love it. Um, they found her on YouTube, which is so cool. I, the Wolf Entertainment account has been such a gift because the behind-the-scenes stuff is so cool. Yeah, I put a lot of their stuff in the outline. Oh, nice. Oh, yep, pages. there it is. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> I get excited. But, yeah. I know. So, um, 
this patient with a super cool name, uh, she's basically got an infection where her prosthetic is connected. And I'm like gesturing, like you guys can see me, you can't see me. So it's like super high tech though, because it's wired to her brain. It's like wired to her nervous system. So her brain controls the movement. So I have a million questions, questions that are probably way too complicated for me to Google and get an answer to in a succinct amount of time. But like how? Right. When I want to, I would love to know. So the Wolf Entertainment Twitter account had tweeted that the director like saw her taking off her hand, like the taking off her hand bit in a YouTube video. And that's why, like why they incorporated it in the show. I would love to see that YouTube video though. I wonder if I could, we could Google it because I would love to see it. Probably. And she's on Twitter. The actress, uh, Angel is her name. She's on Twitter. I followed her from the podcast account. So you can probably find her through there. Probably because she That'd tweeted be awesome. like she tweeted a screenshot of like the beginning of the show. And she was like, look, that's my name. And I was like, oh, we're friends now. That's cool. <laughs> so um, plot twist, though. So she's talking to April and Dr. Troy, and she basically tells them that she flew to Chicago from Bethesda for her sister's wedding. So she's AWOL. She's absent without leave. And mm-hmm. so under any other circumstance or, or if she walks into any other hospital in Chicago with like any other doctor, if she walks into Lakeshore, like it's not going to be a big deal. She just happened to walk into Chicago med and right into Dr. Choi's ED waiting room. Yeah. Like talk about unlucky. Right. Well, or lucky because that, yeah. But depending on which way you go about it. Yes. Because Ethan gets all righteous. He always does this. He gets super righteous and he's like, oh my God, she went AWOL. This is just not okay. Ethan, calm down. I mean, the thing is, though, is that like, yeah, maybe he should have approached it differently. But like, I still kind of agree with what he did. I mean, okay, so her CT results show that the, the infection basically needs surgery. But he holds off on scheduling it because he calls Walter Reed. Like... That is a pretty Ethan move. I mean, if this is Will or Natalie, they do the surgery and then, like, they kind of debate on whether to call Walter Reed. Right, but he calls Walter Reed because, like, the technology is so complicated and he doesn't know, like, he just doesn't want to screw anything up. Like, what if by them draining her thing, like, they end up fucking up the technology part? But... Like, it's, you know, like, it's not just, like... It's not like a normal prosthetic where you just take it off and you're done. Like, it's literally connected to her nervous system. So, like, it adds a whole complicating layer. And, like, yeah, again, maybe he should have gone about a different way. But, like, I probably in that situation, too, would have been like, oh, yeah, you should probably consult her actual doctor. See, but I took that as him just making up a reason other than I thought he was tattling on her basically I didn't take it as that I I thought that was just what he was telling April to like justify what he did see I didn't see it that way either I thought like I said the way I saw it I didn't see it as him tattling I mean it's hard to tell with Dr. Choi right like he can he can be that guy who's like I'm petty and tattling but he can also be that guy too who's like no this is the right decision like we need to know the mechanics behind it Right. Yeah, he can. But in this moment, I thought he was, like, doing the right thing. I just think he went about it maybe the wrong way. I feel like that's the story of everybody's lives on Chicago Med. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That could be, like, the title of Natalie's memoir. Natalie Manning. I just went about it the wrong way. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So April's pissed, of course. And I mean, I was with her. I was like, yeah, I mean, she like he should be focused on the infection. And instead, he's focused on throwing her under the bus. But that's that's how I took it. Uh, and Ethan just makes the point that, you know, HIPAA makes an allowance for situations just like this. OK, first off, he's using HIPAA to justify him tattling. Again, that's just how I'm taking it. Whatever. He probably was right that it was just the mechanics. But also, he freaking quoted HIPAA. This is amazing. What is this? Oh, my God. I just, like, need to document that moment. Like, write that on my gravestone, please. <laughs> like. I'm just comforted knowing at least one doctor in this hospital knows of HIPAA. Right. Like, it, literally the best day of my life. Also, due to this information, due to this newfound information, can we now have Dr. Choi and Natalie work together more often? Right? Like, oh my god, I need Choi to tattle on Natalie, like, every week. Please. I need Dr. Choi to follow Natalie with, like, a spray bottle, like a cat, and every time Natalie's about to do something bad, I'd be like, no. Like, just get her with water and be like, no, <laughs> that's bad. Don't do that. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Have they ever worked together before? I'm sure we've... Yeah, with uh, the pregnant teenager from the homeless camp, I want to say two seasons ago. Oh, yeah, I think she had TV, and then she was... Or no, she was pregnant, and then she came back with TV, and they killed her to add insult to injury. Like, that wasn't cool. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So... April basically says what we're all thinking and she tells Ethan that he can be overzealous when it comes to the military, which like, yeah, okay, that's true. But he just turns right around and he's like, I'm just trying to keep Gina from losing her arm for a second time. My arms were fine. I was live tweeting. What? Yeah. <laughs> Kidding. So the military police show up with orders to transport her back to Walter Reed. So Troy thinks that he was doing the right thing, but they, they, they brought the cavalry, which like, I saw it coming. So did April. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. So, uh, of course, in that very moment, she starts crashing. So she goes, she goes septic um, and she needs surgery, but the police are standing firm that she needs to be transferred. So April goes to get Goodwin. Goodwin just like lays the smack down. My favorite thing in the world. And she was like, you don't have jurisdiction. I was like, yeah, like you don't have jurisdiction. <laughs> like, I thought that was fantastic. But yeah. So April and Ethan go get Marcel to do the surgery. They coax him into it. He agrees. Asks April to assist. The military police get their court order. Try goes, Choi, bleh, Choi tries to go stop them. Everything in this hospital is always fixed with a court order. Do you notice that? Right. And I feel like it's this season, though. Like, I don't ever remember them mentioning court orders until, like, five episodes ago. Or whatever. I'm making the number up. But still, you know what I mean? Like, oh, bomb in the hospital, better go get a court order. Oh, my God, we wouldn't have med, like, the med backdoor pilot would not have happened if somebody just had a court order handy. Wait, what? It's a joke. Oh. <laughs> Your face. I'm like, no, it was just a bad joke. Just a bad joke. Yeah, so the police get the order. Troy tries to stop them. He's like the king of the one-liners in this episode. And so he goes, are your orders to bring her back dead? Because that's exactly what you'll be doing. Burn. So the surgery happens, and Snaps I them. thought this too. I thought this too. The surgery happens, and it looks like a Dr. Pimple Popper video. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> it was, like, oddly satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Marcel is, like, extra flirty in surgery. Uh, and basically, he's, like, he tells April at one point, he's, like, I can't refuse you anything. Like, watch it. Watch it. And then he offers to make her a Sazerac, which is a 
fancy ass drink that I didn't know existed until this episode. Me either. I've never heard of it. Okay, but like, I looked it up because, I mean, of course I did. So, you know how at the beginning of the episode, Ethan's, like, cooking for her, and he makes her this, like, super bougie frittata, and I'm like, dude, he keeps Gruyere cheese in the house? Like, damn, get you a guy who can do that. It's impressive. Yeah. So, I look up the Sazerac, and I'm like, it's got absinthe in it? Like, that means, like, Marcel keeps absinthe and, like, a bunch of, like, bougie bougie cocktails in the house? I'm like, sorry, Marcel, I kind of would take the Gruyere cheese. No offense. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Same. So after the surgery's over, April tells Ethan, like, it didn't have to go down that way. I mean, I agree with her. I don't know. So later on at the crawfish boil, Dr. Marcel is, like, the smooth little operator. He's making the Sazerac, and he makes a move. Oh, my God. Okay, I will say this. Listen, that was smooth AF. And I'm not just saying that because at the end of this episode, there is my interview with Dominic Reigns. I'm saying that because that was smooth. I mean, yeah, it was. It's just like, are we really going here? We're really going here. We're really going here. I. Where? Okay. It was smooth, but it was not okay because I mean, well, I mean, yeah. Doctor Marcel knows that April's with Ethan. He's got to know. Yeah, duh. So he tries to kiss April, but April stops it before it happens. Good job. Mm-hmm. But Ethan shows up and he apologizes to April for how he handled the case and the fertility stuff and promises to back off. I, I, mm, I don't know how I feel about this. And I mean, okay, there, Dominic talks about a lot of the Ethan April stuff in the interview that you will hear at the end of this episode. But what do you think, Brenna? About like specifically the Marcel April part of it? The, like which part? The, yeah, the Marcel part of it. I mean, he's, he's, uh, the Marcel and April, all of it, all of it. I mean, I just, I don't know, it's complicated. Because, like, I do, I definitely don't, I mean, if you guys have been listening to this for a while, like, you know I was definitely not a sex toy fan, like, at all. Um, I'm not, like, still their biggest fan, but I'm okay with them now. And I feel like they've finally gotten to, like, a decent place. So, like, for Marcel to come and ruin all of that, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm just, like, I roll, I roll, I roll. Um, but I do think April so far has been the only person that can really crack Marcel. And I do seem to like the side of him that she tends to bring out. So I am, from that angle, I am interested to see what comes of it, if a romance does come of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I want the Marcel that we saw in the crossover. Right, and I think that comes from April being there. And for whatever reason, April brings out a different side of Marcel. It's a good point. I didn't even think that it was like April that was like the catalyst for that. I mean, cool so far. It's only really been like... Because remember, it ha- she was around in the crossover, and then that next episode, we were like, what the heck? Where was the Marcel we saw in the crossover? Right. And, you know? So from that angle, I'm interested in Marcel, sexel, really, whatever people are calling it. Um, I think sexel is so funny. It just makes me think of an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. But, like, I also, you know, we've been building up sex toy for, you know, however long now. And I 
kind of like the place that they're at. So I don't want to see that ruined either. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And I also just feel like we got out of, we're just starting to get out of this like love triangle with Will, Natalie, Philip. And I'm like, I don't want another love triangle, please. I know. I know. Can we, can we not? Right. So um, for more insight, again, at the very end of this episode, we're going to tack on our chat with Dominic Reigns. He was a pleasure to talk to. He's very, very insightful about his character. He's and so nice, right? So nice. Yeah, very, very sweet. Um, it was cool. We just, It was literally exactly what we sought out to do, which was just get to know him. It was cool. But, you uh, actually talked to him for a long time. I did, yeah, yeah. We talked for like a half hour, which was just like crazy. I literally, I literally did the interview in my car. I'm not even kidding. And it was just <laughs> like a leisurely chat, just... Yeah, it was good. It was good. I really enjoyed talking to him. And again, he gives a lot of good insight about Marcel and, you know, what's going on around him. And I definitely did ask him about, you know, him making his move in on sex toy. So I didn't say it exactly like that, but he he talked about it. So definitely stick around at the end of the episode and give it a listen because I think you'll get a lot of good insight. Yeah. So elsewhere in the hospital, Will. Um, is it possible that Will had like the easiest day of anybody? Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't even that easy, but yeah. Um, Will basically had like Edward Cullen for a patient. My God. I can't even. Did you did you watch slash read Twilight? Uh, heck yeah. Okay. Heck oh, yeah. okay. Well you didn't you didn't do Harry Potter, so I didn't know. Um Team Edward or Team Jacob? Edward. Yeah, okay. I I was Team Edward as well. I was. Um Yeah. No, I was in, like, the prime age. I was in eighth grade when Breaking Dawn, like, the book came out. And I can remember, like, buying it. Like, I was in, like, prime middle school time for Twilight. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it was, yeah, a thing. I remember, like, being pretty into it until the, the last movie. Not Breaking Dawn Part 1, but Breaking Dawn Part 2. And that's when I was like, this is so stupid. Oh, I think I stopped going to see them and move them. I mean, I've seen all the movies now, but, like, I don't even know if I saw – did I see Eclipse in the theaters? I don't even know if I did. I know I saw Twilight and New Moon in theaters. Did I see Eclipse? I don't know. I was over it for – like, I wasn't obsessed with it for much. I was maybe obsessed with it for, like, a year or two, but it did not last that long. Um, I will say, though, with full disclosure, that New Moon is still a guilty pleasure movie for me. Like, if I really need some, like, terrible angst, I'm totally cool with watching it. I've not seen any of those movies in a really long time. I mean, no, I haven't either. This part of me really wants to go watch Twilight. (laughs) The soundtrack was the best part of that first movie. Oh, the soundtrack's so good. Yeah. That's still, still, yeah. That I will still listen to, but the movies are garbage. Oh my god. And I mean the books are too, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's trash. So poor Will. <laughs> patient rolls up. <laughs> nice little detour there. Um <laughs> so Will's patient has fangs. Like what? What? And so the Wolf Entertainment Twitter account, again, it's it's been a total gift. So they mentioned here that the fangs were created by a dentist who basically made molds of the actor's teeth. So that they could be slipped on and off easily for shooting. I think that's so cool. It is so cool. It's so cool. So Will comes back because Tom, what did Tom pass out or something? Oh, he was throwing up blood because I yeah. feel like all of Will's patients either like 
throw up blood or just like don't want to live. I don't know. So <laughs> his girlfriend's there. His girlfriend has fangs too. And she's like super controlling. So Tom's in, Tom's the patient's name. He's in acute liver failure and that's why he's bleeding internally and he's puking up blood. But his girlfriend insists that they leave. And so I got really scared here the more this episode went on that this was going to be like a really horrible nightmarish like Fifty Shades Twilight mashup where like she was like the dominant, he was the submissive and like they had vampire fangs. I got really scared. What is this on like HBO now? Like, (laughs) I got really scared. I was like, please don't do this to me. Like, please don't. It was not, thankfully. I got really scared that, like, Dr. Charles was going to be like, well, it looks like they're in, like, a dominant-submissive relationship. (laughs) It wasn't the case. But I got scared, yeah. And so Will is like, I'm going to go get Dr. Charles. This is crazy. So as Tom and his girlfriend try to leave, because literally, like, they're going to leave when Will's like, surprise, you're in liver failure. And he's like, peace. Uh, Basically, he admits to being a vampire And it gets just a lot worse. Okay, so it's not a Fifty Shades mashup, but she bites Dr. Charles. This is when I was like, okay, this situation is like full-blown bananas. Well, and she she bit him hard enough to make him bleed. Right. I was like, what the heck? What? What? Well, even then, too, like... The fact that, yeah, like you said, she, like, bit him hard enough to, like, make him bleed. Like, I'm just thinking about it. Like, how sharp are those fangs? Like, dang. Right. Because, like, yeah, if I, like, bit someone, I don't think, like, I, you know, I would, like, leave a mark. But not, like, enough to make them bleed. Like, dang. Yeah, that that takes, that takes a lot to make someone bleed. Yeah. Yes. Like, a lot. So, Will chases after them and... The girlfriend ends up leaving Tom as Will basically pulls him out of the sun. I was dying at that point. He was like, get him out of the sun. And I was like, did Will like happen to read Twilight recently? Like, what the heck? See, and I thought he said, get him on his side. But then somebody tweeted, like, get him out of the sun. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. And I was like, oh, good one, Will. That's what the the subtitle said. Actually true. I was dying. Will's got dad jokes. Nice. nice. So funny. <laughs> so this guy is convinced that, like, all they want to do is claim that they cured a vampire. Because, like, he, he went from, like, reasonable but wearing fangs to, like, totally unreasonable as the episode went on. And so Dr. Charles just realizes reasoning with him is just not even worth it. And so after having coffee with Cece, Dr. Charles is like, okay, we're going to try to talk to Tom one more time. And so he basically tries to spin it that... Kristen, he, well, he tries to twist the idea that, like, Kristen leaving into, yeah, he, well, he takes it from being something bad, and he basically tries to make him feel bad that Kristen put herself first and that he should do the same. So he spins it, basically. And so Tom relents, and so he lets Will help him. It turns out he's got hep C, which means he probably got it from his girlfriend. So now Dr. Charles has to get tested, too. So it turns yeah. out that Will was not being a sarcastic smartass when he said, get him out of the sun, because there was an actual medical reason for his reaction to the light. Right. But it was still just funny. I was like, LOL, Twilight. Where's the glitter? <laughs> Where's the glitter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, Will totally read the Twilight books, too. 
Oh. Yeah, probably. Or at least saw the movies. I feel like Will would have been Team Jacob. You think so? I don't know. It just seems like something Will would do. <laughs> probably. I don't know. So, uh, yeah. So, Natalie and Elsa worked together, too, this week. And that was kind of cool. Yeah, but I feel like, I don't know. We'll finish the storyline and then we'll discuss. Yeah. Uh, Brenda, take us through Natalie and Elsa, please. Yeah, so Natalie and Elsa. I mean, this is kind of a side note, but Natalie's apparently moved back into her house. Like, thank God she's away from Philip. She moved in with Philip? I mean, they were engaged. I guess that. I, I get that. But, like, she really uprooted Owen? Engaged. Yeah, I, apparently. She is just. I don't know. Yeah, so side note. So basically, Natalie and Elsa get two patients to speak. It's mom and daughter who are both in a car wreck. Kayla, who's the daughter, basically had a head black. And, you know, they're not totally concerned, but they, you know, they send her up for CT and stuff like that. And after she gets back, though, she, like, starts crashing. And Elsa tries to innovate, and she can't exactly get it, so Natalie takes over. And Natalie's like, you know, it happens. You know, don't beat yourself up. And Elsa's like, I'm not. I'm a medical student, like... I'm supposed to be learning. This is a learning experience. I'm okay. I mean, so far, it's not a bad partnership. No. Um, and then Abram shows up and apparently says that Kayla has all these, like, small bruises on her brain, but none of them are big enough for him to, like, drill and evacuate. So she's just kind of going to have to hopefully cure, like, get rid of them herself. And then Nat offers this, like, possible solution, and the mom turns to Elsa and is like, what do you think? And Elsa's like, well, it only has a 25% chance it'll actually work. And then Natalie gets mad because Elsa has horrible bedside manner, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they were the facts. Right. And then, but then Kayla, so basically Kayla ends up crashing again and dying. And then the mom was, of course, distraught. Yada, yada, yada. And then Natalie goes and finds Elsa on the roof and they chat. And Elsa's like, you know, people make all these assumptions about me, but they're wrong. Like, I'm not some kind of robot. Like, I do have feelings. And then Natalie tells her that, like, even though those feelings seem frightening, like, you ultimately have to use them and they'll become, like, one of your greatest assets as a doctor. The thing that I don't like, I didn't necessarily like about the storyline was that I feel like we already kind of knew that about Elsa. Like, didn't Elsa have that breakdown in Dr. Charles' office about something similar? I think it was more that she was resistant to his help. And I think the the, the storyline there was more so about loneliness. I think in this case, you know, we're just seeing that, you know, Elsa actually does feel these things that happen. She's not just, she's not just like facts, you know? Right. I don't know. To me, it just didn't feel like this was anything new. I was like, okay. I will say though, cool. I'm in, the more we get to know Elsa, I'm really enjoying it because I love it. I love to see Molly Bernard flexing these other acting muscles just because again, we know her as Lauren, you know, we know her as just like quirky and fun on Younger. And so to see her, see her range of skills, it's really nice to see. Right. The thing that I'm most interested in though, so basically at the end, and this is kind of like another random moment, is so like Will comes over to Elsa at the crawfish boil and they kind of have this moment and I was like, 
does this mean? Elsa had been like keeping feelings about him inside. And now thanks to Natalie's advice, she's starting to like let them out. Quote unquote. Like I thought this moment was like the most interesting thing of that entire storyline. Yeah. It's weird. I could see her having like a schoolgirl crush on Will. Oh, same. So yeah, maybe that is, I would be more okay with that than I would Will and Elsa becoming a thing. Wait, say that again? Like, okay, so it, that, that last scene, it kind of seemed like they were trying to make Will and Elsa a thing, right? I think I'd be more okay with it if, if it's like what you said, that, you know, she's letting those feelings out now because of what Natalie said, but those feelings are just like a schoolgirl crush on Will that's just not going to go anywhere. Right, yeah. I, yeah, that's what I don't think they'll actually have them get together, but There is still. zero chemistry between those two characters. There's chemistry, but not sexual chemistry. Let's put it that way. Professional chemistry, if that's such a thing. Right, or like friends, but not, yeah. Right. Um, but I did see that, and I was like, is that what that's supposed to be? Is that why, like, this moment is happening now? Like, I, I don't know. I was just so confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie's the one who taught me how to eat crawfish. I did not know how. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so good. It I like. So good. I saw that watching it this morning because I missed it last night and I was like oh my god I just really want some crawfish now right I know you got to come visit me during Mardi Gras or something where we can go find a crawfish boil okay yes please Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's fun stuff yeah so I was definitely the will when I learned how to eat crawfish (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so so Maggie 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 our girl's got some game okay thank god about time. Brenda, take us through Maggie, please. Yeah, so basically, as we know, Maggie and Marcel are co-hosting this crawfish boil. Where was our invite? For real, I, though. You know. Next time. Next time. But first, she has to go to chemo. You know? Chemo in the morning, crawfish boil at night, only Maggie. Only Maggie. And while she's at chemo, she meets this guy named Ben, who's a fellow patient and who's very flirty. Oh my not goodness. In like a, but not in like a pushy way, but very flirty still, nonetheless. But my favorite part though, I think was like CC when CC like comes over after Ben gets up and like goes to get a cookie and CC's like ecstatic about this like potential love connection. CC's like, I'm having hot flashes just watching you two. <laughs> and, um, and she's like continuously encouraging Maggie. She's like, you should ask him out. You should ask him out. Like you guys get along great, whatever. And then but before Maggie can ask him out, Ben asks her out and he's like so smooth about it. He's like, you know, she should probably eat lunch after this. But the problem is, and she's like, what's the problem? And he's like, I don't like to eat alone. Like smooth, dude. Smooth. So smooth. This guy's got so much game. He needs to go to the firehouse and like give Casey lessons. But actually, though, mm-hmm. but actually, though, and so they go to this lunch that we don't see, but he's walking her home after and she invites him to the crawfish boil finally. And she even invites him inside to help her make some jambalaya, which they apparently don't do because they're too busy doing other things. <laughs> and yeah, it's just I just I love seeing Maggie happy. And like, finally, she's like, got a good guy or at least who we're presuming is a good guy, you know, like I just, 
makes my heart happy. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And I about died when she was like talking to April about getting quote unquote busy. And Maggie's like, yeah, I wasn't that busy. Or maybe I was. I was like, go get it, queen. You deserve it. Good job. But I will say this, though. They're going to fault in our stars, her. I know. Oh, I know. I'm trying not to get attached, but I'm like, I know. Not ex- no, I'm not. I'm not. I like Ben already. He's great. I know he can stick around for forever. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah. Peace. So, any other notes about Med? No, I mean Med's been solid all season. It has, yeah. Although I found this episode a little slower than the others. I'd agree with that, but. I still think it was like a solid episode. Like no parts of it left me like scratching my head being like, wait, what? Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was slower paced, but it was good. And so, I mean, is it, it's what n- next week that, you know, Maggie gets unexpected news about Ben, right? Or no, it's the finale. Yeah, it's mid season. Okay. All right. So yeah, nice to have a team week every once in a while. So yeah. moving on to fire. So Fire did something a little bit differently this time, which was pretty cool. So I don't think we've ever seen, A, a hostage situation, or B, a call that has lasted over the span of multiple acts. I think we've seen both. I'm pretty sure we've probably seen a hostage situation. Like, I I feel like we've never seen one like this, where they get called to kind of like stand by. I feel like we have, but maybe I'm getting Pete. I don't know. All the shows start to like blend together at some point. I know, right? I know, I know. So yeah, they took a little bit different of an approach here. And so 51 gets called to a hostage situation. It's a domestic, basically. This guy is holding his ex-girlfriend hostage. And he's pretty much done negotiating. Like he throws his cell phone out the window. Police can't talk to him. So Bowden tells the guy in charge, he's like, listen, if SWAT's going to use pyrotechnics, then engine needs to be hooked up to the fire hydrant. You know, basically the guy agrees to that. I hate, hate, hate in my job when people, people who don't do my job tell me how to do my job. But yet when 51 does it, I love it. I don't know why. Love it. It's totally okay with me. So Herman asks a police officer to move a squad car and he won't. This guy's a dick. And so... Hermit improvises and like literally when the guy's like the guy's literally got his gun and he's like I don't know that sounds like a you problem like doesn't sound like a me problem nine times out of ten we usually will see Herman like explode right and so I was like well shit like what's he gonna do he's gonna like unload on this guy like it's gonna be horrible he gets in the squad car and moves the car for him and that's it like this cop does not know the bullet he just dodged right right he got off again so lucky. I like well, and I was mentioning this episode earlier, too, for a different reason. But I just kept picturing, I think it's 401, where they just start, like, ramming fire trucks into cars to, like, get what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Like, it could have been like, ten times worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was tame on the scale of what Christopher Herman is capable of. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to me, the way he lit up his kid a couple weeks ago would have been a worse punishment than moving the squad car out of the way. Right, like, and also it's a, 
I don't know. I feel like all those rules also go out the window when it's an emergency situation. Like, who cares? Right. Right. So, I mean, I thought he was going to, like, break the windows to get the hose, like, through the car into the hydrant. But he moved the squad car, which is so tame. Didn't somebody do that once? Was it on fire or was it on Station 19? Ah, shit. (laughs) I feel like it was fire. I don't know. Um, Station 19, which, side note, we should totally be getting a premiere date for soon. Like, I need it back in my life. I don't know. It's like all the stories and all the things just blend together. But, yes, that's definitely happened on some show somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So afterwards, basically, the the cop confronts him, but Herman gets in the guy's face, and that's really it. Like, they talk about it, and then they move on. It's really very anticlimactic. Like, nothing happens. I do really love, though, how Ritter, like, takes up for Herman no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So that that relationship is, like, amazing. I love how... Ritter has completely bought in to the family aspect of 51. Like anybody who gets, even if they're new, they come into the house and they know this house is family. Right. It's so good. And like they treat it like one and they protect it like one. I love it. It's the best. Ritter's just the best. Yep. So Casey notices smoke coming from the window. And so basically a fire must have started because don't they shoot in what they think is a tear gas canister? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I mean, SWAT gets their job wrong. So they fire in what they think is tear gas, but is actually smoke. And so Casey's like, well, like, shit, you know, if the if he doesn't kill her, then the smoke will. And so Severide's like, hey, cool, we can repel down the roof because, like, Severide things. And so SWAT, the SWAT guys try to keep the shooter occupied at the door so that they can get the woman out. And so... They're up on the roof and like Sev's gearing up and Stella just gives him like this worried face and just says, don't get shot. My heart. Which in some way, shape or form can be seen as a callback. Oh, I thought I, that was what crossed my mind. Yeah. Cause Stella, don't forget Stella technically got shot. It's just her radio took it and not her. Right. But that's what I was thinking of. And then Severide reacting outside. Oh yeah. That's what I was thinking of. So good. So they're able to get her out, like literally Casey and Severed like swoop in and save the day. And so Casey gets the woman, they get out and the shooter is like, I mean, with all the smoke, he can't see where she went. And so, you know, Casey and Severed trying to rappel back up the roof and the shooter is looking around and finally he looks up and he looks at Severide and he's about to fire his gun and Herman whams his ass with the engine, like just water right in the face. It's amazing. This was so tense. Like I, I was babysitting and I was watching this and I was like, oh my God. And I like was trying to be quiet, but like, I want to just like scream. It was so tense. See, and I don't think it got tense until the payoff. Like the whole first act was this call, which I mean, again, I love seeing them try something different, but I got a little bogged down in the details. Like during the first act, I was like, okay, let's move this along. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And then it did pay off because the water can into the face was just fantastic. Well, it was more, like, I thought the most tense thing when the guy, like, looks out the window and, like you said, he, like, looks up at Severide. I was like, oh, crap. Oh, but Joe, I was like, don't do anything. Don't hurt them. And I was like, I don't want to look, but I want to look. Like, I was just like, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the again, the Wolf Entertainment Twitter has just 
it's it's so entertaining. I mean, no pun intended. It's just I love the behind the scenes stuff. So they basically said that because of all the roof work, they it took them two and a half days to shoot the scene, and so the majority was shot at a. What'd you say? I said that's crazy. Two and a half days for one scene. Yeah, yeah. It's so crazy to think how much goes into like such a small amount of footage. So do you remember in like season? Go ahead. Well, you remember in season three of PD, they had like this party scene and there was like an indoor pool and there were like these really cool like light yes. orbs or something in the pool that took them. It was yeah. like a 12 to 14 hour day just there. And they only used like maybe 30 seconds of footage in the episode. That's crazy. Well, the thing that I think is so interesting about this is that it took two and a half days for essentially one scene. And like, doesn't it take them what, like eight days to film an entire episode? So like they used a, literally more than a fourth of their filming on this one scene. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's so crazy. A lot goes into those calls. And so, yeah. And if you, if you think of it, I mean, there's what, usually two calls per episode, maybe three. Right. So like almost half of their filming time in an episode goes towards filming calls. Right. Um, but I thought what was so interesting about this too, was they were saying, you know, it's like, well, majority of the hostage scene was shot at a real apartment building. Like they couldn't shoot the water into someone's home. So the art department literally built a near identical, like vacade in the parking lot just for that moment, which is insane. That's, I just love reading about what these art departments can do. It's just so cool. Somebody, mm. um, somebody over on Nancy Drew, Today I posted a couple behind the scenes things of some like scene they did and like I don't care how off the wall the scene is I will I'm such trash for behind the scenes content I'm always just like that's how they did that that's so cool yeah same magic same. so yeah Bowden asks or Bowden asks Herman about the scuffle and I quote he got into with Officer Hartle and so. Hartle says that Herman laid hands on him, which, like, we have receipts. That's not true. Um, and he filed a complaint with CFD. Ugh. So Herman says that Bowden suggested reaching out to intelligence for a little help. And so in comes Burgess. I think this must have been the scene they filmed the day we were at the we, – we were watching Jesse and Tracy film when Marina was at the firehouse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it was. I'm 99% sure it was. Love it. So while well, no, I was going to say so while Burgess is there, we're across the street. We were we got there later. We missed we missed Marina. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So Burgess comes and basically says that Hartle's always filing grievances against other cops, but she really can't do anything. She's actually pretty funny in this scene. Yeah, and so uh, this was a great scene. It was great. So yeah, she just suggests like trying to appeal to his sense of victimhood. Um, I think at one point Herman asked her to do something and she's like, it wasn't evident by my tone that I can't stand the guy. Like, seriously. Um, and then Herman goes, yeah, or maybe Voight could wrap him in duct tape and lock him in a car until he changes his tune. I think that might be Herman's best line. Like, I was, I was dying laughing. I thought that was, oh. I was Herman like, was on a different, like, Herman's lines in this episode were like on a different level. They were pretty great. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, Herman watches PD. <laughs> nice, nice. So he goes down to Hartle's district, tries to apologize. He even brings him beer. Like, are you kidding me? If he brought me beer, I'd be like, you're forgiven. And Hartle's just like such a dick. He just like ignores him. And so Herman's like, it's going to be a blot on my record. Like, even if I beat the rap, which you know I will, because this is a bunch of baloney. And Hartle's like, it's not a baloney. It's a fact, which is no, we have receipts. What are you doing? Right. 
Uh, yeah. So HQ escalated the complaint to conduct unbecoming of an officer because I because I, I don't know because that that's just stupid. And so he has a hearing. He's probably going to lose command of eighty one. And he tells Sev later, this is a sweet scene. He tells Sev that, you know, he's like, maybe losing my command is not the worst thing because maybe I wasn't cut out to be a lieutenant in the first place. This freaking squad, I love them so much because Severide is immediately like, cut the bullshit. And he just says, he's like, leadership is big decisions in tough moments and you're right where you should be. Mm. I love that line. Severide's pearls of wisdom. He's just, like, killing it with the knowing what to say this season. It's amazing. He's, like, boyfriend of the year to the whole house, not just Stella. <laughs> but actually, though. But actually, though. <laughs> Kelly Severide, boyfriend of the year 2019. <laughs> but actually, though. Yeah, yeah. And so um, some stuff goes on over on Severide's end, and Herman is miraculously cleared. So that's the Herman stuff. I just, how dare that officer shake Herman's confidence? I mean, it, yeah. But this was a great Herman episode, though. This was really good for Herman. Yeah. This is the Herman I like. Like, the humble, you know, just trying to do his best Herman. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So, this was a big one for Severide. Yeah, there's a lot happening. Yeah, yeah. Will you take us through Sev? Yeah, so basically Bowden mentions that a new OFI lieutenant is going to come over and talk to him. And Sev's like, okay, cool. And so this new lieutenant, Wendy Seeger, shows up. And she's like, I want you to be detailed over to OFI. I need you to help me clear some backlog of old cases. And Severide's like, yeah, thanks for no, but no thanks. You know, he even says, he's like, for me, squad is home, which my heart. I know. Squad is home. And, I know. And so she, like, walks away, but she's like, I don't really give up that easily. So you'll hear from me again. Can I just say how nice it is for Severide to meet a female character and me not be afraid that he's going to sleep with her? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that, but yeah. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. So he goes back into Bowden's office and Bowden's like, you want to tell me about this transfer slip? And he's like, what the fuck? Because I didn't agree to a transfer. So he goes down to OFI and asks Van Meter and Seeker about it. And basically the transfer order doesn't come from them. It came from our old pal, Kristen. Ugh, why is he back? I don't know. He's never leaving. I'm just He's never leaving. I thought he was on Nixdish, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Then go back to Nixdish. It got a full season <laughs> pickup. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's something against yeah. Gary Cole. It's everything against Grissom. Yeah. So basically, we go back to 51. And Bowden tells Severide and Casey, he's like, you know, I did some digging. And apparently Seeker came up, came up under Grissom and blah, blah, blah. But my favorite thing, though, is so, like, Severide is heated. Mm -hmm. He is pissed. And Bowden and both, Casey both, they're like, yeah, you can't go talk to Grissom while you're like this. Like, nah. Don't do it. And, you know, Bowden's like, you know, you have to remember, like, this is highest praise coming from a commissioner. Like, just remember that when you go talk to him. That regardless of how you feel about it and all the personal stuff, like, this is high praise technically. So 
Severed goes and sees Grissom and things blow up kind of as expected. And he's like, you know how I feel about you trying to help my career along. And then Grissom tells him this story about how he had once this moment in his career where he got put on a, what was the, it's some boat. I don't remember the name, the like exact term of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had detailed to something he didn't expect and ended up being a great experience. And so Grissom's like, this could be that for you too, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, public service isn't about doing what you want to do, Kelly. It's about sacrifice and it's about doing what others need you to do. You know, trying to appeal to Kelly's good side or do better side. Um, And so Sever does, you know, end up reluctantly agreeing, but not without Grissom doing something for him first. Which is the Herman thing. Uh, Right, which is the Herman thing, and you know, which is why Herman miraculously gets cleared. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Allison, you know, made a comment to us. She was like, you know, as long as this doesn't become permanent, I think this is a great storyline for Severide. You know, the character has grown so much, but we haven't seen much career growth for him. And it will be fun to see him stir things up in OFI for a while, which I really, I agree with. I think, you know, obviously we've seen that Casey grow and we've seen Herman grow as like in terms of career, but we haven't seen Severide's been in squad for forever as lieutenant. Um, So I do think this could be good career wise for him, but I don't want to be here forever. Right. And I saw somebody had tweeted us. Um, it might have been earlier today, and I'm sorry we didn't copy and put it down the outline, but it was basically saying that, you know, Grissom's right, that, you know, public service is about what's best for the community. Severide's got a talent for these kind of things, and they need to clear that backlog, and so that's that. And so I, at first, was like, this is so weird. This is so anticlimactic that Grissom's just coming in and being like, and now you will go to OFI, no matter what, you, like, what I say. I was like, at first, that's weird. But then I was like, okay, this is probably pretty real in terms of how it happens in real life. And I mean, it's it's true. We've had, what, seven seasons now of Severide being like Detective Arson. And yeah, it's time to see a little bit. It's time to spice it up a little bit. And so I'm with Allison. As long as it's not permanent, it's okay. Yeah, same. And so the last scene that kind of relates to this, Severide and Stella are talking. I don't know where they are, though. They're on some roof. Presumably the Molly's roof, but I don't know. Molly's has a roof? Uh, I don't know. I thought they were outside somewhere. I'm thinking it's roof. I don't know. Um, if there's a rooftop uh, bar at Molly's, we need to know about this. I don't know. I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're on, like, a, at a, I don't know, whatever. Wherever they are. They're talking, and Stella's like, you know, you're a good man, Kelly Severide. Like, you look out for people. And, you know, there, it's just a bunch of sappy stuff. And she's like, you're really okay with going to OFI? And he's like, as long as I get to come home to you, I'm okay. And she's like, <sighs> I just, I love them. I love them, I, too. I love them. Boyfriend but, of yeah. the year. I just, I love them. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm just like sitting back and like basking in that moment for a second. Like, they're just so good. I mean, I've said 10 times. It's so good. Just happy, happy Kelly is the best. Happy Stella is the best. Just happy Stella ride is just hmm, the best. Can we just like take those two and like plop them into a Hallmark Christmas movie? It would be like, I, I would pay good money for that. Oh my God. It'd be amazing. It would be really amazing. It really would. So there was a lot of surprise Brett and Casey in this episode. I didn't. I, I was not expecting the amount of cassette that we got in this episode. 
No. I mean, I figured if it if that had anything to do with the reason Gabby's coming back, that, like, we were going to start seeing some more of it soon because we haven't really gotten any of it this season. But we got a ton of it. There was a ton, yeah. And literally, I, I at first thought it was just going to be, like, that very first scene that we saw in the sneak peek when Casey, like, made the comment about, what was his face, Ryan or something. I, I was like, oh, how cute. They're just, like, giving us a breadcrumb, whatever. Oh, no, there was so much more. I was, was like, like, whoa. It's like storyline. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. So in the locker room, Brett mentions to Foster that Ryan contacted her again. Ryan was the social worker that we saw, like, two or three episodes ago. And basically just said that, you know, Isaac's being released early. So Casey overhears um, quite, like obviously too like the minute she mentions ryan you just see casey's eyes like dart over in her direction and so he's like oh that's the guy you were dating and she's like no like we were never dating no and so she clarifies that and when he walks away she's like why did i just defend that so strongly and foster's like i don't fucking know like (laughs) that was weird so during the call Casey brings over the women's kids to Brett and Foster just to get them looked at. And so the sister's like freaking out. And so Brett's pretty gentle with her and it's just like, okay, hey, can you just keep your brother calm? Like, you know, can you just talk to him? Whatever. And so back at 51, Casey's like, that was really impressive. Like, that was really great what you did, which like, you've been a firefighter for how long, Casey? I feel like you know how to do this. Right. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, that's a little too much, Casey, but, but sure. We'll Casey and his lack of game. Yeah. Like, none. Yeah. None. Because he used up all of it when, Casey, when Dawson asked him to that Christmas party. But actually, though. Yeah. So Ryan shows up to 51, tells Brett Isaac's released, going back to live with his mom, and he asks Brett out for lunch. And so she hesitates at first. She kind of talks it over with the girls and she says, yes. So she's like, what the hell is this a date? Like, what are we doing? And so Stella says it's a date, but Foster thinks that it's not a date. Brenna, what did you think? Date? No date? You know, it's so interesting because I maybe my gut at first would be like, yeah, lunch isn't a date, but like, I also have all the context. I'm like, yeah, duh, that's clearly a date. Yeah. But I don't know if I asked someone out on a first date to lunch. Like, I don't, I'm kind of with Stella, like, the, or Foster. That doesn't really scream romantic to me, at least. Nope. No. I mean. But, like, having all the context, like, duh, it was definitely a date. It was definitely a date. Definitely a date. But, like, I also don't fault Brett because, again, lunch. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a tough call, but it's, it's, it's a date. Yeah. Right. Definitely a date. And so Brett's like, I'm not ready to date again. What the hell is this? And Foster pushes her to go. So the date's fine, whatever. They have a nice little lunch at this like super secluded spot. There's wine involved. The wine should have been your first clue. This is a date. Right. Yeah. The minute the wine comes out, it's a date. Uh, And so the date's all great and whatever. But then when it's over, Ryan tries to kiss her. And so she just very awkwardly is like, I just got out of a relationship. I'm not interested, you know, whatever. I thought it was handled pretty well, though. I don't know if it was that awkward. It's just awkward because, you know, like, it's always awkward when you rebuff someone and, like, someone doesn't feel the same way. And, you know, it's always awkward in that sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So later on, she just tells Foster and, and Stella, she's like, you know, after everything I've been through, I don't want just a sweet guy. I want the one. Where are we going here? <laughs> Yep, I, yeah. 
I think that sound yeah. you heard was Twitter exploding. But actually, though. Yeah. Yeah. So later on, 51 gets called to a golf course, and it's a guy trapped under a golf cart and impaled with a golf club. Uh, did you see Derek's tweet about this? No. What? It was basically the writers, like, taking a jab at Derek because he likes to go golfing with another guy from, like, I don't know if he's a writer or a producer or whatever. And so this was basically the writers of this episode, like, just making a playful jab at Derek and his friend. That's hysterical. Which also, I, you, I don't know if you picked up this detail. On the alarm when the, when the call came in, it was the Steve Chikorotis golf course. Oh, I picked that up. Yeah. Yeah. So nice little, like, so- detail. So, yeah. Um, Steve Chikorotis, for those of you who don't know, is the fire technical advisor. He's like fire's version of Luch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the guy's been impaled with a golf club. And so basically this guy's friend is like, this poor friend. At first he's like, uh, it fell over. I think he's okay. I don't know. And then once they realize that this poor guy's been impaled, like he freaks out. Like this poor guy. (laughs) And so Casey just kind of uses the same approach. He's like, can you just keep him calm and like set an example and, you know, just chill. And he does. And so later on at Molly's, Casey offers to buy Brett her next drink because the big sister trick worked with the guy at the golf course, which is like, Casey, really? So lame. I know. Yeah, just, oh, Casey, honey, mm-mm, that ain't it. So Casey asks about the non-boyfriend and Brett's like, stop teasing me. And she just says, she's like, I mess everything up when it comes to romance. And so Casey is like the good friend in this situation. He's like, yeah, sure. You've had some ups and downs lately, but who hasn't? He's like, my money's on you. My money is on you finding exactly what you want because that's what you deserve. Not Casey. I, yeah, I just, they're going there. They're going there. I know. I know. This is like, I just feel like if you were to take a gif of like, it's that gif of Michael Jackson just eating popcorn during Thriller. Like that's the gif that I would use to describe my reaction to this. I'm just like, go on, go on. Like, But like, I feel like it's pretty obvious, right? Like it's going to come up while Gabby's around and Gabby's going to give her blessing. Her bl- Like, I just feel like it's so obvious. I... Uh, yeah, I have theories about this too, and I I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I yeah, I feel like why else would she, I don't know. I feel like Gabby giving her blessing for Brett and Casey is basically like the powers that be, like pulling their grenade and just like launching it and running. Yeah. Yeah. But again, there I, I am almost, in the corner like the Michael Jackson gift, just eating popcorn. I almost also wouldn't be surprised, too, if, like, it would be the writer's way of trying to be like, okay, look, guys, like, Gabby's okay with it. Like, you guys can all be okay with it, too. Um, but I don't know. That's just me speculating. If I, that is what actually happened. I finally got to listen to Emily Longaretta's podcast last week. Um, Emily, friend of the pod. Um, she had Derek Haas on and, you know, she brought up a good point, one that I always seem to forget about when people talk about Brett and Casey. You guys, Matt and Gabby are divorced. I mean, that's a pretty final nail in the coffin. Right. And it's like not saying that they will never get back together, but like that's not happening like in two episodes. So 
I, yeah, I mean, and, and I think that might be what Derek means in terms of it's not going to be what we think. Uh, yeah. I okay, I did have this other thought, though, and this is kind of my version of pulling the pin on the grenade and launching it and running. Um, what if Gabby met somebody else? You know, somebody mentioned in our DMs that, like, she specifically was asking about Peter Mills and, like, what if Gabby mentions that she's reconnected with Peter Mills? I don't think it's going to be that she's reconnected with Peter Mills because I think that's just, like, going to be an AU thing that we all like to believe happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's not surpri- it wouldn't surprise me. Man. That would be, like you said, pulling the grenade, the, the thing on the grenade and letting it go. That would be... Yeah. 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 I mean, either way, I think that's, that's, that's going to be the ultimate resolution here with Gabby coming back is that however, I mean, however it ends up, you're going to have some people who love it and some people who hate it. Right. But I'm just saying, I think Gabby coming back definitely has to do with Casey and Brett. Oh yeah. It's definitely, it's not going to not come up. Right. Right. So. I mean, the title is best friend magic. That's either Dawson, like, joking around with Casey and being like, hey, even though we're divorced, we still have that best friend magic, right? Or that's, like, Dawson apologizing to Brett for leaving or something and then dropping in the words best friend magic. It's, it's, or it's Dawson giving her blessing and saying, hey, that's some best friend magic. I mean. I don't know, but yeah. I know. So the slam again. (laughs) in something way more tame and less explosive. Right. Brenda, take us through the slam again, please. Oh, the slam again. Mm -hmm. So the firefighter exposed in town and and the slam again. Yeah. But Cruz is like freaking out because he wants everything to go properly, you know, still. And so they show up to the expo. And Cruz is not happy because their booth is in a corner by the bathroom and the practice door hasn't even arrived yet. And so Cruz is like freaking out. But he gets even more mad when he notices that there's a product at the expo called the Halley Hammer. Halley Hammer? Halley Hammer? Whatever it is. The Halley Hammer? What the the fuck is this? (laughs) Basically, someone ripped off the slam again. Like, not cool. So not cool. Not cool. The name's stupid, too. Right. Slam again is so much cooler. Way cooler. Um, so Cruz even asks Sev, like, this is like a couple days later or whatever, day later during shift. And he's like, can we go gas up the rig? Because, like, I want to make sure that my business isn't catering, cratering. And so they get there. And it's, like, not looking good because no one's interested in Slam again. They're all interested in the Howl Hammer. Nick Porter, the guy who's, like, their business partner and supposed to be, like, running their booth, is, like, too busy focused on the pretty lady modeling new turnout coats. Like, it's just, you know, all going downhill from there. And so they go back to the expo again, and Cruz, like, decides to keep interrupting the Howling Hammer presentation. He's, like, it, you know, and they'll say something. He's, like, oh, yeah, the Slamican did it first, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, like, soon enough, though, the rest of 51 joins in, and they are all interrupting the presentation. And, like, they're all wearing their slam against shirts, and it's just, like, the ultimate squad goals. The best. I, like, like may have shed a tear when they, like, the camera pans, and they're all sitting there in their white polos. I was just, like, my heart. I know. The squad. They're the best. I know. 
And as it turns out, anyway, the Hallahammer was a cheap remake anyway, and it didn't even work. So Cruz said nothing. Yeah. At first I was like, damn, Cruz, why didn't you make a lighter version? And then it turns out because it didn't work. Right. I had, I had the same thing. I was like, oh, my God, Cruz, you're an idiot. And then I was like, no, Cruz, you're smart. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry for doubting you, Cruz. <laughs> I apologize. Again, I hate when people try to tell me how to do my job. How dare I? My bad. Right. Oh, man. So any other notes on fire? No. Uh, yeah, I mean, this I'm is another pretty see. chill hour. Yeah, I mean, comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So on to PD. Okay. Yeah. Before we talk about this episode, I kind of want to touch on the remnants from last week briefly because I've had more time to think of it or think about it. And I'm just like still – I still have feelings, like unresolved feelings about it. I mean – Okay. Let's look at – let's boil this episode down into its simplest form, okay? Jay got an innocent black man killed. Yes. I think my question is – less so on Jay and more so on the creative team in terms of like, why would you do that to a character who we are supposed to root for and like, and support? That's an action that's almost like unredeemable. Because I think it's not necessarily, and I'm not defending Jay, of course, but like, I think it's supposed to be comment more, not necessarily on Jay and his character more on the system. And that, like, the system is the one that's getting an innocent black man killed. And that, like, Jay obviously didn't want to get a, you know, that wasn't Jay's intention. But, like, the system is so rigged and against innocent black people that, like, you know, that's just what's happening. I think it's, I think it's not necessarily a comment on Jay and, like, doing it to Jay's character. I think it was supposed to be more a comment on the situation and society. Yeah. I get that. It just, it's a, because to me, like that's not even what's going to stick with me about that episode. What's going to stick with me is that ending and like Voight doing what he did and like Jay and Voight disagreeing about that. That's where I think, but that's what's going to stick with me most about that. Yeah. Yeah. That bothers me too. And I, I mean, I think the whole point of that was to have, was to show that, you know, when Voight needs to step up and protect his team, that's exactly what he'll do. Right. But I think going back to your comment, too, like, I think that's why, again, now that I'm okay with what Jay did, because obviously I think it's terrible, but, like, Jay clearly feels guilty about it and, like, wanted the real killer to be identified, you know? And Voight covered it up. And Jay was upset with Voight about that. So, like, Jay clearly still is conscious and it's weighing on his mind and he's not okay with what he did and blah, blah, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, and, and the more I think about it, so, like, in 501, he got an innocent girl killed. And that didn't seem to bother me as much as this one does. I don't know well, why. Well, I think, too, this is 70, that was 706. So, like, a lot's happened on the show since then. The show's changed. You know, everything's changed. The world's changed. You know, everything's changed. Mm-hmm. And I think just to the tone, the show's taken a darker tone. I think, I mean, I think everything's changed. Yeah. Uh, I again, just, not good either, but still. Right. It's just the more I thought about the episode, the more flashbacks I had to Justice 102 being like, why would you do this to characters that you want us to like? 
Yeah, but again, I don't think it's more... Like, I think that's almost a side note of the storyline. Like, I don't think it necessarily has so much to do with, like, Jay specifically getting the girl killed or the guy killed. Mm-hmm. I think it has more to do with just, like, in general, innocent black men or black men being killed by the system and, like, being, you know, tragically targeted and, you know, all that stuff. Like, I think that's more the bigger picture. Like, I don't think it necessarily has to do so much with Jay specifically getting the guy killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it was a very heavy episode last week. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still not, I'm still not over it, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I hope that comes up again. And I, hopefully after, you know, we'll talk about this week's episode too, but like, it's kind of making me mad. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, it needs to come up later on. That's not something that you can just be, have like be a pass by fly by night episode. Like that needs to come back up. Well, and that's, again, what I was hoping to see in the mid-season finale, but, like, I don't know. Now I have to deal with Jay in a relationship, which, like, I roll, I roll, I roll, I mean, roll, that could just be Jay dealing with the fallout of last week's episode. Because, again, I mean, we saw it with Camilla, and maybe he's repeating a pattern now. Right, which, which is why I'm interested, you know, when it says, you know, I don't remember exactly what the description says. It was, mm-hmm. oh, his ongoing relationship. Like, well, how long is ongoing? Is ongoing since the episode, or since the events of... 706 or since the events of 701 like I don't know I'm just making you know right right I don't know so yeah um I'm still game to discuss last week's episode I know Twitter's been you know I've seen a lot of tweets about the episode so I mean if if you're not over it either let's talk because that was some heavy shit so this week's episode okay so this was a big Upton episode and of course Tracy killed it because Tracy well uh, so good. But, I, okay, well, no, I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so Rojas and Upton basically pull up to a crime scene. Halstead has coffee waiting for her. And, I mean, I mean, just, you know. And so Rojas takes a jab at Halstead. She's like, no thanks, I'm good. And he's like, sorry, have it. And she goes, sure, that's one name for it. Uh, the Literally, the amount of times I watch that scene is, like, ridiculous. Um, I think the other name for it is love. Right, and, like, the fact that it's obvious to the new girl, it's just, like, come on now, Jay. Um, one of my favorite things, though, is that coffee has become such a love language on PD. It's, like, it's just a cute touch. Like I love it. Yeah, it's just such a love language. It's just so good. I, it's good. Maybe because I love coffee, too. But, uh, yeah, so great. Because I know there have been times where, like, Rusical Hand Burgess coffee, and we're just, like, oh, my God. And then, like, there was the time Ruzik and Outwater, like, clinked coffee cups because Burgess was, like, eyeing up intelligence. And I just, I love it. Love it. Love it. So, basically, a couple of corner boys, they shot each other, and now they're dead. Um, and in most circumstances, it would be ruled mutual. But it turns out that one of the boys was dealing carfentanil. I haven't had the chance to look up carfentanil yet, but it's basically fentanyl, which is really bad cut with something else that it makes it even worse. Yeah, it's like 10 times. It's like, I don't know. It's like a lot worse than fentanyl. I think what Crawford said was like a pinhead of the stuff would kill you. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guy got OD'd from just it being on him. Yeah. But we'll talk about that. Yeah, that was crazy. 
Uh, and so, yeah. And so Boyd says he's like, if Carfentanil's hit Chicago, then like we're going to be stacking dead bodies in freezers outside the morgue. So Voight goes and pays our buddy Darius Walker a visit. Darius is back. And Voight's calling in that favor. So Darius is working for the cops now. And so at first he's just like, oh, God. But, you know, whatever. So he gives Voight a name. The guy's name is Book Bar. The guy's first name is Book. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to judge. So Upton has a CI that she thinks could set up a buy with Bar, But she's kind of hesitant because this guy has basically turned into like a career CI. Like, he gets a ridiculous adrenaline rush off these things, and so it's, he's just made a living off of it. And I will say that I really liked that idea of a storyline, because that's not something we've seen with the CIs before, and I really I really liked that idea and, like, exploring that, because I'm mm-hmm. sure that's something that actually exists. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I really like that storyline. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she ultimately is like, fine, that's okay. So we meet Cam. Cam's the CI. And like, he is just energy. I liked him. I loved Cam. I'm so sad that he had to die. Spoiler alert. But yeah. Yeah. And okay. I mean, I get that there's a story to tell, but like, that's getting a little predictable when these side people come in and we can immediately peg them and be like, oh, you're going to die. Yeah. But like, I loved like, even though he introduced, like, or he greeted her, he was like, Haley Ann Upton, light of my sorry ass little life. Like, I just, I don't know. I love that. Haley Ann. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. He's adorable. Um, so he agrees to introduce her to bar. So later on, they go to a club to make the intro. And like, I, just the row water in this scene is just like giving me life. I just like, well, especially because we haven't gotten any row water since Brohas was introduced, which like, that's a whole separate issue. Yeah. But like, yeah, I just love that they're now the new undercover couple. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Just, and all they were doing was like chilling on the stairs. I, I just, it was perfect. It was it perfect. Was and you know, when they film those scenes at like clubs and stuff like that, there's no music when they film. And so they just have to like make it up. Right. But I just, yeah. Row water. So who are they talking about this guy here that sounds like a cop? Who are they who are they referencing? They're talking about Cam. Oh, okay, yeah. So basically the way that Cam is talking to Haley, you know, Upstead or not Upstead, but Jay and Burgess are, you know, Burge dead, sorry. They're in the van outside and Jay's just like they this guy sounds like a cop, like what the hell? And so Burgess is like, Yeah, there's a thin line between like a pro CI and an undercover. So Barr agrees to a deal with Haley. The next day, they go to meet him in a parking garage, and he's like, yeah, there's been a change of plans. Like, we're going to go meet my boy, and if that goes well, then the original deal stands. So everybody's like, what the fuck? Like, that wasn't the deal. But Haley agrees to go. And it very quickly turns from a meet to a rip. A rip meaning, like, he's going to steal the drugs. And so Mm. he rear-ends a car that rear-ends another car, and... He gets out and he goes to grab the drugs, but it like the bag explodes basically. And just by the explosion of that, like it gets on his body and like he probably, he probably inhales a good amount of it. He overdoses like right then and there. Um, yeah. Which is like, damn, that's some powerful shit. Um, I just looked and carfentanil is a hundred times more potent than fentanyl. Damn. You remember on med, we had an episode where there was fentanyl and like, yeah. It was Noah, and Noah was like, April, do not move. Like, back out of this room right now. That's fentanyl. So, yeah. for that to be like 100 times more powerful? Yep. Jeez. 
no wonder he OD'd right away and died. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. And so, and I found myself like, what'd you say? No, I was going to say, I was going to say like, you see it happen. And I was like, really? I was like, this is kind of silly. Like it just got all over him. Like no big deal. And then I'm like, oh crap. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like ODing. So then Cam and Haley are like trying to approach and everything. And I'm like, no, no, stop. Like, stop. Right. When she, gets, when she went to get the Narcan, I was like, Haley, what are you doing? Like, no, don't. But that's our girl. She knows what she's doing. Whatever. Um, and yeah, and so, you know, she handles it, whatever. Bar, or yeah, the bag explodes, he overdoses and dies. And the Wolf Entertainment Twitter, here we go again. They basically say that, you know, this crash sequence took two full days to shoot. And yet when the car fentanyl explodes, they got it in one shot. It's crazy. So good. I mean, it was probably just like confectionery sugar. Let's be real. But right. That's- yeah. So crazy. So the driver of the Civic gives up his boss and the driver is Mackie Carter. Real quick, though, let's no, circle back to the end. What? The driver's not Mackie Carter. The boss is Mackie the Carter. The boss is Mackie. Yeah. Okay. So, but let's like backtrack here a little bit. Okay. So after the bus goes down and everything, like, yeah, we get the scene from the, the preview of like, Haley, are you good? Oh my God. Um, can I just say how robbed we were of Upstead in this episode? We did get the one Upstead line, but we were still very much robbed of Upstead in this episode. Yes, there could have been more upset. There are like 20 different moments in this episode where all you had to do was take Jay and like plop him in the scene and it would have been perfect. But there was like zero, none. Yeah, we could have had a lot more upset. You are right. We could have had so much more upset. At a certain point, like even after the stuff with Cam goes down, like there was a point where I was just like, is everybody, am I watching the same show? Like, I can see that Haley is visibly upset and nobody's going to do anything about this. Like, what? I, at this point, I was like, dude, even if Ruzik wants to go, like, hug her, I'm fine with that. Can somebody just acknowledge that she's not okay? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, the driver of the Civic gives up his boss. It was Mackie Carter. Barr was stealing the drugs from him and then cutting it himself to sell it in Washington Courts, which is a neighborhood in Chicago, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah. And then he was, was he cutting it with kitty litter? Didn't that come up at one point? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And then soap too. Listen, it's probably a good thing, but I don't understand drugs. <laughs> so. Me either. Yeah. I don't understand how that works with like cutting and then like, why would you cut it with kitty litter? And then like, why? I, mm, yeah. So. Ruzik comes back with footage of Darius talking to Mackie, so Voight goes to confront him. Because, like, I mean, I'm loving Darius as a villain, though. Like, he's he thinks that he can step to Voight, but it's like, you just really can't. I think that's funny that, like, you think you can, but just, like, stop. You can't. Right. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Nobody can. And so he's like, listen, you don't want to play with me, Darius. I don't play. Which is, like, tr- truth. He arrests Darius, puts him in the cage. What? Crazy. Yeah, this is definitely the first cage appearance of season eight, right? I think so. It has to be. Yeah. And so Darius admits to leaving out Mackie because the two of them do business, but he won't give him up because if he does that, he's dead. So this Darius stuff is very convoluted because he like wants to protect his people, but also like do the thing for the, the cops. You know, he basically like lied by omission, right? Right. Right. So... Jay and Upton are talking to Darius. They're giving him details on how everything's going to go down. And Cam shows up. Rookie mistake, dude. And Haley is just, like, livid. 
she's so mad. And this is at this point, it's only like halfway through the hour, too. So once I realized that like he got burned as a CI, I was like, it is only halfway through this. Oh, this is going to end so badly, like so badly. And so yeah, real bad. Oh, my God. Real, real bad. And so Haley's like the first rule of being a CI is not to walk into a damn firehouse or police station, not firehouse. You know what I'm starting to say? Um, and she just said, she's like, you might have just burned yourself. And so she's just like, leave, get out, go, we're done. So, Bryna, why don't you take it from here? Yeah. So, Darius goes and meets with Mackie. And basically, you know, he's just trying to play him. You know, obviously Darius is working with intelligence. Mackie doesn't know that, blah, 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 all this stuff. And so... Darius's solution to the problem that Mackie has created is basically, you know, I'm going to buy the rest of your carfentanil supply. Carfentanil. That's a, that's a mouthful. Isn't it though? <laughs> yeah. And basically they set up like an exchange meeting for the next day, you know, the supply for money, whatever. And so Cam won't stop calling Haley. And so she's like, fine, I'll go meet you, whatever. And pretty much like as soon as she pulls up to this meeting, Cam gets shot and like, all of his blood, you know, goes all over Haley's face. It's, like, kind of graphic. Oh, my God. Yeah, totally graphic. Very sudden. Not at all what I was expecting. No, no. I mean, yeah, no. This has yeah, to go down as, like, one of the top five most brutal deaths on PD, right? It was bad. Really bad. And I think you could argue it's the most brutal death of someone who we didn't, like, Obviously, I'd say, like, Nadia's up there in terms of brutal deaths, like, Julie, whatever. But someone who we didn't really have any attachments to is, like, probably the most brutal death. Yeah. It was Um, graphic. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And so she calls for backup. They're able to tackle the guy who shot Cam. um, And they end up bringing him in. And all he keeps saying is he's, like, repeating over and over. He's like, Cam's a snitch who deserved to die. Like, Cam's a snitch who deserved to die. Like, he won't answer any of their questions. And Haley's convinced. She's like, Darius told him to kill Cam. Um, you know, but of course, Darius isn't going to complain to that because why would he? Um, and intelligence can't find a way to connect this guy to Darius. Like, at all. And so we go to this buy that Darius has set up with Mackie. And intelligence is doing their thing. You know, they're all set up around the perimeter lurking around whatever what is the actual verb you would use there spying on them for for what for what do you call intelligence sitting in their cars and like paying attention stake out spying on them yeah that that's the word i'm looking for (laughs) yeah and so we get like a good upset scene like probably the best upset scene we've had all season and you know she mentions to jay they're in their car and she mentions say she's like, you know, it'd be really easy to move in on both of them and burn Darius that we can't use him anymore. You know, she's going all these things. And Haley's like, or Jay's like, listen, Haley, I'd follow you anywhere. But I know you would right now tell me, like right now you would tell me to trust Boyd in this situation. And it's just like, oh, the callback to when Haley told Jay, I'd follow you. Yeah, like, oh. I mean, it's it's a beautiful line. It's a solid callback, but it just is. It was not enough. Upstead, it wasn't enough. Right. It's pretty great. Though. It is pretty great, but we were definitely like we deserved more Upstead. Oh, a hundred percent. 
100%. Also, when are these two going to get real and talk about their feelings for each other? I don't know, but it's apparently happening. Yeah. That's all I know. Or according to guy, but I guess they could always, whatever. But, like, is it, though? Because he's like, yeah, it's going to be explored. But, like, when, though? I don't know. My schedule's open. I know, actually, though. Um, So, basically, sorry, hold on. So, basically, we see Darius, you know, Darius has this whole play while he's, like, having this bye with Mackie. And, basically, Darius, you know, is like, the police are following you, like, you know, your car's been bugged, whatever, like, you should be careful, you know, like, all this stuff. And Darius ends up escaping the scene, but not before intelligence can capture Mackie. Escaping in air quotes. Right, escaping. And so Kevin Ruse start inter- interrogating Mackie, who clearly has no idea that he's actually been played, you know, whatever. And so Voight has this one last meeting with Darius and, you know, Darius is like, we're all good, right? And Voight's like, yeah, I still have like one more thing to ask you about. And we ask him straight up about ordering the hit on Cam. And Darius is like, well, he like doesn't say yes, but he also doesn't say no. And he just basically is like, you know, we both know that every time you stand across from a CI, like you're lying. Like you can't actually protect them. You know, nine times out of ten, the house wins and the person in my seat is dead. So, so... he like, pretty much confessed that confessing it was that was that a yes yes that's yes Hmm. definitely yes i mean isn't it i i I, yeah essentially because i mean when he says the house wins and the person in my seat is dead obviously that didn't happen this time so this was the 10th out of 10 and so he had to protect himself by ordering the hit on cam okay okay I, i guess i see it but Still, that's how I'm taking it anyway. But so basically, then we get this like long scene. It's like a very, very long scene between Haley and Voight in his office once Voight comes back from this meeting with Darius. And they just kind of all lay it out. I mean, they lay it all out on the table. And Haley, you know, talks out her feelings behind it. And she's like, you know, I'm not defending Cam. I'm not saying he was a good guy, a smart guy, a right guy. But, like, he was my guy, you know, my CI. And Voight even at one point asks her, he's like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to yell at you? Like, do you want me to tell you, you know, like, that what you're feeling is normal? He's like, I, he basically tells her, he's like, I can't do that. Um, and Voight says, he's like, Haley, you're a good cop. So I know you made the right decision. Or so, you know, I made the right decision tonight. Like he was yours and your death is her, yours, his death is yours. And she asks him, she's like, how do I do that? Like, how do I carry it? How do I carry his death? And she, he, Voight says, he's like, I have no idea. I still have no idea. And yeah. I found that ending scene very unsatisfying. I don't know. Again, it's like me. It's me. I don't understand Voight right now I don't get it yeah yeah the things he's been doing lately have been very unsettling weird yeah yeah okay first off letting Ruzik fight that other cop the fuck like right weird yeah and then I mean obviously we we know why he did what he did last week he had to protect Jay but just uh still doesn't sit right and this just yeah, weird. And then this one, like, you know clear as day that 
Darius is the reason Cam is dead, and yet you're like, no, we're still going to use him. Again, I see the bigger purpose. Obviously, there's bigger fish to catch. Right. But still weird. It's weird. Yeah, just very unsettling, unsatisfying endings the past couple weeks. Yeah, I just, again, why I need there to be a blow-up at the in the mid-season finale. I need somebody to blow up and void. Yeah. Is it, the, is it the description for eight or nine where it says, you know, Voight struggles between justice and the letter of the law? Eight. Okay. We just read the description for nine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's something that, like, the more time that goes by, obviously we get older and wiser. And, like, so the more Voight's actions just are, like, total head scratchers. But, I mean, this is nothing different than what he's done in the past seven seasons. And yet, for some reason, this time around, it's just bothering me I just I think though because maybe it's just the way it's all laid out but like to me I t- I'm always agreeing with like Haley or Jay like I'm always agreeing with the other side mm-hmm. I just I don't know yeah I don't know why but it's bugging me this time around like it's really bugging me yeah it's it's and I it's it's hard to put your finger on exactly why right like I just yeah. Are you, listeners, are you guys feeling the same way about this? Like, let's talk about this because it's, it's weird, right? Like, it's just odd. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let us know, like DM, email, however. Let's talk about this because, yeah, weird. So any other notes about PD? I don't think so. So we're going to let you guys listen to our interview with Dominic again. I love talking to him. It was a lot of fun. Um, and we had a really good chat. Like, you know, Casey and Severide have their cigar chats. Like, I feel like I have my car chats. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so here is our interview with Dominic. Enjoy. So, I mean, we'll just jump right in. Yeah. So we're still trying to kind of get a read on Marcel, right? So one minute he seems kind of shady and then he does something really good. And so I'm curious how was he pitched to you, and what is your favorite quality that he has? Well, I think uh, ultimately, um, you know, Crockett is uh, someone who's very good at what he does, and he's not—he's not there to, to try to ruffle any feathers, but. He's just really good at what he does, and he's unapologetic about who he is and, and how he approaches his work. And that's why he's been in situations where, you know, what he's expressed and the way he likes to go about um, his business is, is uh, not necessarily in accordance to, you know, some of the other doctors. Um, he kind of moves to the beat of his own drum. Um, that's really what I connected to, you know, to be honest. It was just kind of, for lack lack of a better word, I I don't know if irreverence is the right word for it, but there was something about that, you know, um, that unapologetic um, mystery that was kind of incredibly intriguing, because I felt like, you know, at the same time that Crockett was someone who was doing his own thing, you know, he, there must be underneath that, underneath all those layers, there's got to be something going on with him, because, uh, you know, there, 
you know, someone who wants to have a good time, someone who wants to, who's moving at a mile a minute, who's, you know, not really worried about if he's offending you, he's just speaking truthfully and openly. And, you know, that may come off crass and it may come off, you know, may rub people the wrong way, but, you know, he's, he's well-intentioned and, um, he's, uh, I mean, I keep going back to the word unapologetic because that, that is really kind of what sums him up. But because of that, you know, I, I think that he's gone through some deeper emotional risks. And so I, I started to, you know, which, which the, the writers have opened up to me about his backstory, which is incredibly intriguing. And I'm sure we'll have everybody going, what? That's, that's, you then you'll understand. I mean, that's stuff that I can't really go into right now. Uh, and hopefully you will see it as, as the, the episodes progress. But it makes a lot of sense. And um, let's just say he's been, he's been humbled numerous times and there's no reason for him to, to hide who he is. Interesting. Um, you know, yeah, in terms of his work and what he does. Because at the end of the day, he, he wants to help people. And he loves doing that. And but he also he also knows how to follow the rules. You know, um, he he knows how to follow the protocol. He just his way about doing things are unorthodox, and that's just part of his part of his, who he is, his disposition. How interesting. Yeah. And so do you think that's part of the reason why he didn't speak up sooner about Philip and the ring? Well, I don't think he knew enough about that. I, I, I think, you know, he also knows to mind his business. You know, he doesn't stick his nose where it doesn't belong. Um, he, you know, he's he's not into the rest of the trauma where that other people may be into. You know, he's, if there's gossip happening, I can assure you Marcel doesn't know about it. And not only does he not know about it, he doesn't care to know about it. Um, he's there to do his job and does it well. If he likes something, he's not afraid to express it. Um, if he doesn't like something, he's not afraid to express it either. And this is where he may rub people the wrong way. But underneath that, he's truthful and he's honest and he's well-intentioned. And he's got a lot of heart and he's got a lot of love. Um, it's just, you know, the environment in which he works in is, is, you know, there's a level of professionalism, but there's also in his, in his history, there's a kind of like a, kind of moves like a bullet and um, again moves to the beat of his own drum so that's why I can express that great great and so were you familiar with the shows at all before you came on for the role yeah yeah funny enough back in the day I, I think I auditioned for fire one or two times um, but those never clicked and they never did um, because I feel like Crockett was, um, I'm so grateful that it came, you know, it's, um, it's a role that, uh, I, I understand wholeheartedly and, uh, connect to on many levels. Uh, I, I was very aware of all three shows. I, I, I don't think I, I had ever seen an episode of Med 
or PD. I think I might have, when I auditioned for Fire, I think I, I browsed through a number of the scenes on Fire just to get an idea. But mm-hmm. uh, no, I, I, I wasn't uh, involved closely with like um, the, the, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't watching it as often. I mean, I, I'm, you know, even today, you know, as much as I'd like to, I just, I feel like there's so much TV. I'm just, I, I, I it's like I can never catch up. Uh, so many great shows, you know, ours being uh, a few of them. And uh, it's just so hard to catch up on everything. Right, right. Which kind of segues into, it's a question I always like to ask later on, but what are you watching right now since TV's so good right now? Well, um, to be honest with you, I, I don't have a TV. Um, so uh, I I haven't watched, I, I just, I have my laptop. And, you know, if I'm watching something on, on the laptop, I might just watch like, uh, I love watching documentaries. Um, and, and docu series. So if I get it, if I get the chance, I watch I watch those. And then uh, I also listen to um, you know uh, books on tape. So I, I listen if I have time. I, I listen to Audible. Uh, a buddy of mine turned me on. So I'm you know catching up on books on there and then my own books that I read. So um, but the show that I kind of gotten into recently um, the docu-series by Netflix called Explained. They're, they're 20 minute segments and they just kind of, they go into different topics and they just break down these topics. It could be about water, it could be about female anatomy, about marijuana, about, you know, all these different, uh, you name it, they're billionaires and, and cults and basically they just kind of they go in-depth in detail in 20 minutes about what each of these topics are about and they give you insights on health and diet and all this stuff. It's really great. Interesting. I'll put that down. I'll note that on my, my Netflix uh, recommendations. There's just so much yeah. right now with all the streaming platforms and everything. It's, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it's like endless. Apple's coming out and then you're going to have Disney Plus and I know NBC is going to be streaming soon and um, with, their, with their newer shows, it's just like, it's endless, man. Amazon, Netflix, it's uh, insane. It's overwhelming. Right, right. Which, I mean, as an actor, I'm sure is a fantastic thing, though, because it means more platforms for more projects, right? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. You know, this is the golden age of TV. Um, you know, even bigger actors, as, as you know, are, are kind of, they've segued out of films. I mean, films are you know, fantastic, but they, you know, they prefer to be, to go on TV. It's like now there's this huge gap between, you know, high budget films. Like if you're, if you're in the movies, you're doing really big budget films, you know, and then if you're not doing those huge budget films, you're doing these little indies that are like a million or two million to make, you know, but that go off to like really great festivals and so forth. Outside of that, that in between, Forty million, fifty million dollar range. You're not really seeing much of that anymore, and it's like those films are going like, all right, what can we do? This film is going to cost fifty. Or, you know, what about if we were to turn this film into a miniseries, or this film into a, you know, a, you know, a three three season, you know, Amazon show? So now you're seeing a lot of those happen. So then you're finding a lot of big stars, uh, big name actors who are much prefer to 
you know, go do something like that, go on a show for the next six months and then have the other six months off or go do something else, you know, in that period of time. Yeah, that's great. And so, and I mean, speaking of movies, like you were saying, I mean, you're kind of an alum of the Marvel Universe, correct? Well, not really, no. I mean, I I, I did the, uh, I was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a TV show. Um, but I, you know, I did a, I, I know, I was very fortunate at the beginning of my career to meet these two incredible directors or brothers, Joe and Anthony Rousseau, who, you know, have since, in the time that I've met them, gone off to the uh, Titans in, in the, in the, uh, in the Marvel world, directing, you know, the, the latter two um, Captain Americas and then the last two Avenger films and just having such a huge impact on the Marvel world. They were um, a pivotal part of my move to, to Hollywood, and, you know. And so, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to stay in touch with Anthony and Joe over the years, and, you know, they were doing... Captain America, Winter Soldier, and, you know, there was um, a, a bit part, and, you know, my brother's also an actor, and um, we had some, some other friends who were all, we were all in the same show together that Joe and Anthony had directed many years ago, and so, like, a, you know, they invited a bunch of us to come in and, and have fun with them for a day, and um, gave us little small parts, but it was kind of like a little bit of a reunion, so... Um, I wouldn't say it was anything like major, um, but my only stint with Marvel was the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I had a, a fun villain role in the, in the fifth season that was um, a lot of fun. Right. So I got to do that, but uh, I haven't broken bounds in the, uh, in the Marvel cinematic world. Yeah, I mean, I still count that as being part of the Marvel Universe. I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. personally, but, um, you know, I was going to say... Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, I still count it. So, I mean, now that you're part of... You've been part of Marvel, and now you're part of One Chicago, and so what does it mean to you to be part of these two absolutely giant universes? Well, look, you know, uh, as a performer, you know, you're kind of gliding by trying to find work, and then, you know... You know, you have these opportunities come your way and you hope you do the best you can. And, you know, you, you strive for excellence and you um, you turn in an audition and, you know, you, you kind of leave it behind you and just move forward because, you know, you've learned to do that. Um, because obviously, as you know, this business, there's a lot of, it includes a lot of rejection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you hope that something sticks and then you get a call and you're like, you know, they, what you did, they liked and, you know, they want to, they want to continue. So then you start building on that and, you know, you work with great producers and great writers and, you know, they, they all want to collaborate and no one's there, you know, they, they want to see what you bring to it and then they're re-inspired by what you do and, um, then they write something which inspires you, and then you know, you, you know, it just becomes this beautiful um, back and forth until you kind of find a flow. Um, and then, you know, with both Agents of Shield and and now with One Chicago, you know, I've I've been very fortunate to work with you know some incredibly talented, generous, kind 
welcoming crews, um, uh, incredible talent, you know, uh, you know, one Chicago, I mean, you know, I, I only met the fire and PD, um, team a, a couple of times. Um, you know, most of my time was obviously spent with the, with the Chicago Med, uh, cast and they're all so lovely, you know, um, Brian T, Marlene Barrett, um, Nick Geltis, I mean, Apetha, I mean, all of them, they're just spectacular talent who have, who have been so um, forthcoming and so generous with their time and patience, you know, as as you know, there's a lot of, you know, the medical lingo and behavior and, and, and what we do is a tantamount, a part of, uh, of how this show unfolds and, and you know, you come in as the new guy and, you know, you're trying to put it all together. You're not only trying to get these lines out, but you're trying to keep them as authentic and, and as original as possible, you know. Uh, I've had the good fortune also of, you know, working closely, you know, not only with our medical advisor, um, who's there every day, Bob and Bergstrom, who's been a fantastic part of this and um, has helped us bring a level of authenticity, but also uh, one of our other medical advisors um, who's been a part of it since the beginning, um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Andrew um, Dennis, who is, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to follow him around the trauma room, um, him and Dr. Schlosser, and, you know, oof, you're, you know, talk about being humbled. You know, you're seeing what these guys go through on a day-to-day basis, and, you know, I've been there on a Friday and Saturday night, you know, post Lollapalooza, and you're seeing some, some pretty, I mean, even besides that, I mean, just any, on any Friday uh, given weekend, you know, you go into the trauma unit, and you're seeing some things that will, will sober you for the next month, you know, uh, and will humble you and make you realize how, how grateful you are. Um, but all that kind of informs you, you know, and you take that and you add that to your work and um, you realize, oh, wow, you know, you know, you look at some of these oncologists who deal with death on a daily basis or even like, you know, um, trauma surgeons, they're dealing with death on a daily basis. That, that shifts your perspective on life, you know. It's easy to fall into a pattern where we feel like every day is granted to us. You know, we expect to wake up. We expect to go out and get what we want for the most part, you know. But really, you know, in some way, shape, or form, we're constantly changing our suffering on a day-to-day basis, you know, whether it's just by feeding ourselves or, um, you know, getting a hot meal or, or coming home or, you know, being able to turn on a TV and sit on a couch, you know. And that couldn't be more true about, you know, walking into a trauma room and seeing someone's life just literally go, like, from a half hour before from being perfectly fine to either they're escaping death or or literally on the verge of it. And, you know, that, I bring all that up because that affects any human being, you know. Now, that human being happens to be a doctor. Well, it, it makes you approach life in a different way. Yeah. And I think that's uh, an integral part to uh, what doctors do and trauma surgeons and trauma nurses uh, specifically, you know, and who work in the ED. I mean, it's it's no joke, you know. Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and trying to maintain your humility and trying to maintain your joy and trying to maintain bringing, you know, um, you know, uh, keep, you, you know, what people are no longer, you know, it's, it, you're, you're dealing with human beings. Yes. But, you know, when you think about, when you think about like a human being is, is, you know, our, our faculties are no different than like a machine. It's like than a car, you know, a mechanic deals with a car. Well, a surgeon, you know, dealing with the body, you know, there's plumbing, you know, that's your blood work. There's, you know, the, the electrical system, which is our nervous system, you know, um, and, 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 and so, you know, the brain, the, the engine, and, you know, the, all that stuff, you know, you know, that's what we're doing, except, you know, we have, not like I'm saying we, I'm just a, I'm just an actor. They have, uh, you know, seconds to, to, to deal with this. And, and so you try to bring that level of authenticity to it, you know, you, you hope to. And, um, and in doing so, you know, there's a lot of frustration, you know, you, you want to bring a level of perfection, excellence to this. And at some point, it's, you know, it's important to let it go too, because, you know, you got to remember that you're on TV show and that there are, you know, people there to protect you and, and to help you through this. And, you know, obviously that through editing, you know, they make everything work and they bring the realism to it. And, you know, you have people like, um, you know, um, um, Bob and Bergstrom and Dr. Andrew Dennis and Vicky Schlosser who, who are there, who are, you know, able to see it and, and make sure that everything runs smoothly and that it's all authentic and, um, that when people watch it, you know, it's, it's really important that, you know, a lot of people who watch Chicago Med realize that the level of authenticity in the medical world is, it's, there's a high percentage that everything that you are watching, it's on point. This isn't, you know, this isn't just something made up just to get it through. Like we have numerous times on our project, we will not move forward with something if it's medically inaccurate. We won't do it. Um, it doesn't matter how good it looks. It doesn't matter, you know, if we, you know, if, if we can cut or nothing. I mean, it has to be medically accurate. Um, and, you know, the, the directors who come uh, on a weekly basis, on an episode-to-episode basis, they, they respect that. They know. And no one argues that. And we know that that's a, a major part of the enjoyment of watching, you know, Chicago Med, that not only are you getting, you know, you know, a, a medical accuracy, but you're also getting stories that are true to life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that's something the Dick Wolf universe kind of prides itself on is its accuracy and authenticity. I hear them say that about SVU all the time. So it's good. Makes it yeah, real. Man, I mean, that's the whole, that's the Dick Wolf universe, man. I mean, you, you think about what he's done for TV. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, he's the first, you know, when you think about it and to bring that level of authenticity to it, you know, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He's, he's done it with law and order and the, he's done it with, uh, you know, the, that, you know, the ju- judicial world and, you know, now with, uh, and obviously with the, um, um, the world of police and FBI and, you know, fire and, and, you know, PD. I mean, like, like the guys over at fire, you know, there, there's some, you know, straight up, um, uh, you know, ex-fireman on that show. That's, that's incredible to me. You know what I mean? I mean, we get numerous, uh, like, of, uh, 
on our set, there's a number on any given day. There are a number of actual real nurses on our show who are extras. Who, when we're working in the ED, we can turn to an extra here or there. You can just throw a penny and you're going to end up hitting a nurse <laughs> who's there as an extra. Just working in the background, but that knows everything that we're doing. You know what I mean? And that's a part of, you know, Bob and Bergstrom's, you know, wanted to keep everything authentic, you know, that everyone in there um, has been in and around uh, the trauma unit, hospital, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's it's so great. And so, I mean, like you were saying earlier when you were talking about how, like, sometimes you've just got to kind of suspend reality and just say, wait a second, I'm an actor. This isn't real. I think we found ourselves all doing that in certain episodes at certain points where we just get worked up and we're like, wait a second, this is not real. It's a show. Everything is okay. And that was especially true during the crossover, um, which was only the second episode or fourth episode of the season. I'm sorry. So what was that like for you to film? I mean, you were practically brand new and crossing over with all these three shows. Well, I I loved it. It was a lot of fun. You know, one, I got to, you know, work with the other, um, the actors from the other shows uh, and that was awesome um, but also I got to work with uh, the other you know the other teams you know um, Eric LaSalle and, and Chicago PD and then you know um, Reza for you know who, who's up, you know the you know uh, the producing director over at uh, Chicago Fire you know and to see the way they work and, and you know they were working on Chicago Med set, but they brought a whole other energy to it, and it was great adapting to that and being guided by them. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm an actor who they say, look, you know, they need you in these, you know, uh, in, in these episodes, but, you know, here are your scenes. And so, for me, it's not that much different. You know, obviously, I'm still in the OR, I'm still in the ED, and, you know, I'm in the trauma unit, so... You know, they say, you know, this is what what it is and this is what we're going for. It's all the same to me. Um, but it was, um, there, there was this kind of heightened level where, you know, obviously in, in, you know, part one, you know, it was it was just hitting, you know, so we were just becoming aware of it. And then it starts to get, you know, it really starts to amplify. And it takes a toll on us in part two and then part three, it was just like, you know, it, it needed to be more climactic. So it was really intriguing to, to work with, you know, you know, obviously, you know, um, the first from the first part and then watch our characters have to really rise to the occasion and really track our own characters to make sure that what we're bringing in each of these episodes, um, it's not only consistent, but that the stakes are, are higher and that, you know, you know, our characters arc because now you're not just doing it for one hour, you're doing it for three. Right. So, you know, it was it was a challenge in that sense, but it was also incredibly gratifying, mm-hmm. especially working with, um, you know, three directors for technically one full-length m- movie, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And so two more questions, and I promise I'll let you go. But rumor has it that... You know, Marcel is around to kind of shake things up with a certain couple in Chicago Med. Uh, I want to see if you can tease anything about that. We worry we have a pretty good idea of who it is, but we kind of wanted to see if you could tease anything. <laughs> well, um, I, I I believe he has an you know an 
how do I go about this? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 there's not much I could say. I know that, you know, there's obviously, um, you know, as far as shaking things up, you know, I, you know, again, like, Marcel is not one of those people who is is trying to do that. Let's think of him as someone who, what he feels he moves forward on. You know what I mean? He's, he thinks about things after they're done. And he's not a guy who, who lives with regret. Yeah. So, and it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, and it may mean people, you know, there's going to be a handful of people that don't like him, and there could be a handful of people that appreciate that, you know, and that do like him. Yeah. But he does mean well. <laughs> now, in doing so, you know, he's, he, the thing is, he's not just, he's not trying to be a good guy. Because to be a good guy or to be a bad guy means, you know, brings up, you know, a whole slew of other things. He's just who he is. It's not like, I'm not trying to be Mr. Nice Guy. Right. You know, and in doing that, you know, because that gets also, that's exhausting, you know, trying to play the nice guy, trying to play the nice person, that's, that's an act, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, it's easy to get caught up in, I, I want to be the nice guy and I want to be this person. And, you know, it's, I, I just want to think that I actually, when you, to, to your earlier question of what did I connect with, I just, I love that about him. He, he wasn't trying to put anything on he just was kind of moving forward and responding to the stimulus around him. And if, if he was liking it, he would. You would know that he was liking. If he didn't like it, you would know that he, he's not liking it. And that's kind of been the joy of of embodying this and, and and you know being able to play you know such a you know such a character. Um, but yeah, you know along those lines. You know, things happen, and uh, there, I'm sure it will surprise some people. And you know, we'll, we'll, that's probably as far as I can go on that. But uh, uh, I'm sure you'll you'll see things, you know, uh, uncover slowly. But uh, I, I probably say, don't hold your breath. <laughs> so it's safe to say Dr. Choi won't be warming up to him anytime soon, is what you're saying, right? <laughs> well, um, yes and no. You know, I think it will unfold, you know? Yeah. Um, I think Dr. Choi and Dr. Marcel have, have a respect for each other, but they may not get along. And But it doesn't mean they don't respect each other. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but... You know, as as colleagues, you know, the two people who understand, you know, what the other brings to the table, um, but they're not necessarily going to go out and grab a beer together, and that's okay. Um, but they do respect one another and, and what each other brings to the table. Right, right, yeah. And so my last question for you, I mean, obviously, One Chicago is a big family. So anytime somebody new comes in, we just like to welcome everybody with open arms and be like, let's get to know you. Let's be friends. What are you doing when you're not acting? What do you like to do otherwise? Oh, um, well, uh, a, a number of things. I, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm a meditator. 
So I, I enjoy meditation and um, and uh, I, I I do a lot of that. Um, and but also, you know, um, I like to stay physical. Um, so you know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, yoga and you know, staying active and exercising and you know stuff like that. And then you know, I I enjoy reading. Uh, you know, books all over my place. So if I walk into a corner, I can just pick one up and start reading it as I'm nibbling on something. And, um, you know, I have some friends that, that live around here, so I might hop around and then go for nice walks, you know, while the weather is nice and sunny and, and try to enjoy the weather and um, maybe go for a run or such. Uh, but besides that, um, yeah, that's it. A combination of reading, writing, meditating, you know, um, keep myself busy with that and uh, hopefully going going deeper in, in understanding you know this part and um, hopefully bringing something fresh and authentic every day and um, staying grateful for uh, this opportunity absolutely and so we actually just spoke to Alberto Rosende last week um, he's the new candidate over on fire he's got a book club so you should probably touch base with him about that he could probably give you some really good recommendations oh well, interesting Alberto's actually we're, he's in the uh, he's in my building oh great <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll definitely do that he's such a lovely guy yeah, yeah, we love talking to him. So, but yeah, um, so that's all I've got. Um, thank you so much for doing this today. Again, I know you're busy. You know, welcome to One oh, Chicago. I hope you're loving it so far. We love having you. Um, but yeah, that's all we've got. And so, um, you know, what'll probably happen is this will come out on Friday, I think, with our episode recapping this week's episode. Um, and so we'll probably we'll tweet it out. We'll tag you and all that good stuff so you can see it. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much for your, your warm welcome and for the, the kindness you've all shown me. I'm truly delighted to be here and I'm thrilled to be a part of uh, the One Chicago family and, and so grateful to you all for uh, supporting me and uh, for, for inviting me in into yeah. your homes and uh, into your lives. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Of course. Of course. Well, yeah, so that's all I've got. I'll let you go. But again, thank you so much and have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Tina. Bye. So I hope you guys enjoyed our chat with Dominic. Wasn't he just wonderful, Brenna? Yeah. I mean, I didn't get to talk with him, but I liked hearing what the conversation. Yeah, he was great. So, um, yeah. And so he was, like, super glad that we you know, were welcoming him in with open arms and just, like, you know, I love our big giant one Chicago family. Yay. So. Yeah. As always, shyhards, you guys know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, meet us at Molly's right across the board. Hey, if you love the show, which we really hope you do, please, please, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. We got a review last week. Did you see that? I did. Yeah, you sent it to me. Yeah, and I'm going to pull it up, too, because I want to give this person a shout out. So we got a review from Elizabeth Reichard, and Elizabeth said, I'm so glad I finally found a podcast about the Chicago shows. I don't know many people who watch all these shows, so to have a place to hear other people's thoughts is awesome. Definitely one of my favorite podcasts. Elizabeth, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Uh, But yeah, so if you don't mind, you know, it helps other shyhards find the show and just kind of grows the One Chicago family. So please, 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 we don't mind. We would love it if you would do that. Follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Brenna? I'm at BrennaK13. And you guys go ahead and have a good weekend. 
and we will see you next week. Bye.